Hi, this is Rob Schneider, and you're on. You're listening to Below the Belt. You can do it. The Below the Belt show is closed. Caption for the hearing impaired. It is now time for the Bad Boys of Baltimore. Pimps up. Goes down. After tonight's broadcast, God damn it, I needed a break. I've been so, so busy. Film productions, going everywhere around the U.S. And uh, I am so happy to have a very special panel for our summer season finale. And uh, this is a group that's near and dear to my heart because I got to participate in two amazing projects with them as part of the 48-hour film project. You might have heard me talk about the films and other shows, but I actually have our fearless leader, director, writer extraordinaire, Francis Abbey, along with the cast of the two 48-hour projects that I got to work on, both D.C. and Baltimore. So I'd like like to start actually by uh, introducing the room and... um, this is a very special panel because we're also an all Filipino panel today. Um, a little bit of a little little splash of cream, <laughs> but nonetheless, so very special people. Uh, if you could go around the room, starting with Francis Abbey, and don't forget to unmute mics. Yeah, hi. Hey, so I Francis. Am, I am Francis Abbey. I am the the filmmaker who who pulled this whole team together, and. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I knew Al from way back. I should I should start saying that Al acted in a film of mine about ten years ago. Had one uh, brief but very memorable scene, and um, when I spanked, yes, that's right. And um, <laughs> I had been wanting for forever since I am half Filipino, though I'm I think maybe more than a splash of cream, at least half cream, and you know, <laughs> half and uh, half. <laughs> yeah. So I have and half, and then. Um, but still wanted to make a Philip a film about Filipinos yes. for the longest time and just wasn't able because the community was just kind of so spread out. And I think it's like for those who are here who have who've been acting, you kinda you bump into a Filipino actor every now and then and you're like, hey, you know, and you bond instantly and stuff. And uh, but then that's kind of it, you know, there's not like a, a cohesion or anything like that. So sure. um, but uh the things that kind of motivated me, I was like seeing, it's like, hey, you know, the uh, K-dramas and stuff like that are like big time now. It's like exactly. you saw Parasite like win Best Picture and, and things. It's like people are are not afraid of of uh, watching uh, content starring Asian people, for example. And um, and so like that was a motivator. 
And um, and then the the technology is here though. The technology is here to reach out and find people. So I put out a call on social media, and a bunch of the people here on this call uh, on this podcast responded. Al, you saw it, and uh, and I knew you from way back. And I said, yeah, Al's uh, love to have Al on board. And um, and then we uh, Jana came by way of some contacts uh, to run it. But again, probably by by virtue of social media contacts and everything like right. that. So that's how uh, we were all able to come together. And um, uh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's great. Well, well, let's go ahead and introduce the actors. Everyone knows who the heck I am because they listen to my show, but let's, let's talk to the other actors on the panel. And you mentioned Jana's name. Let's start with Jana. Jana, if you can introduce yourself. Yeah, hi, I'm Jana and I do play one of um, the actresses from both films, from Pinoy Noir and The House Guest. I played Mariped Mahusai from The House Guest, and I played the ghost girl who loved to scare people on set <laughs> and off set, actually. So, yeah. Two and very great like, and yeah. very different type of roles, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. they were so much fun. But obviously, the ghost girl was a lot more fun, to be honest, <laughs> in my opinion. So... And Francis did great with the script, and he's a genius, and I loved working with everybody through both films, and I hope we can still keep doing it <laughs> in the future. Absolutely. Really yeah. uh, thanks for joining uh, the interview, and let's go ahead and introduce um, an actor that I actually met on another project before we got to work on the 48-hour film project. Um, shout out to Sylvia Hudson, Hudson Talent Agency, uh, where I met this Great Filipino actor that I got to work with. Hello, everyone. My name is Ian Ampollo. Um, I played the dad in the first 48-hour film, and then I played uh, the hard-boiled detective as Francis wanted me as in the second one. So it is very nice to be here. What Thank a you, very, everyone. Very interesting name. Yes. Mm -hmm. That would be... Kunanan. <laughs> yeah. Not to be confused by the Kunanan that shot uh, Versace, <laughs> of course. Right. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and also introduce um, another amazing actress, uh, Elaine. Elaine, say hi and introduce yourself. Hey, guys. It's so great to see all of your faces. Um, I miss you guys. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you. Awesome. I'm so sorry. I'm in the car and I hope you can hear me okay. But uh, I'm thrilled to be here on your awesome show and I love all of you. So I love seeing your faces. And yes, I play the mom in our first film. And then I play the, um, I guess, femme fatale was what we were going for in our second film. And both times, so much fun. I'm so grateful. This doing a film is so new to me, is new to me. So I'm grateful that I got to meet all of you through this. And that um, I got to do this new endeavor with each of you because this is new to me doing a film, and I love it. I mean, you must be a natural, Lane, because um, for our first <laughs> film, The House Guest, you were actually nominated for Best Actress. So, I mean, that doesn't happen by fluke. You clearly had the talent to handle scripted film, for sure. Very grateful, and I, uh, I'm going to say it was great writing and great directing. Awesome. Of course, uh, in Pinot Noir, you play the title character. Well, not, not the title character, but the character that we're required to use in the film, uh, the character that's given to us by 
um, the the 48 hour film um, team, and that's yeah. Natalie Bellevue. So you were able to make that work out pretty yeah. well, yeah. So as we were preparing for it, Francis said, "What do you know about the transatlantic accent?" And I said, "Nothing. <laughs> I know nothing about that." And he said, "And I said, but I'll Google it and I'll figure it out." And I did. And uh, I hope I did it some justice, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot oh, of fun to fantastic. try. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, let's go to Ang. Ang Opalencia. Hello, hello. What's up? So yeah, my name is Ang. Um, in Pinoy Noir, I play the comedic relief sidekick um, against uh, Ian. And then for the house guest, let's say you just got watched till the end so you know what my part is in that film. Okay, we don't want to give too many spoilers, I guess, for people to, <laughs> that want to watch the film. Um, so I guess let's start with the first film, The House Guest, and talk everything about that. Of course, um, since uh, YouTube doesn't have a direct URL to The House Guest just yet, there's an easy way to find it, right, Francis? Yeah. Just Your website. Search for, yeah, you can go to my website, ciscovaris.com, which is currently under construction, but you can find links there to our Barcada DMV YouTube channel where you can find the house guest right now and uh, and our our other future projects you'll be able to find there too on Barcada DMV. That's right. Um, for the spelling, it's C-I-S-C-O-V-A-R-A-S.com. Uh, just so you guys get that right and check it out. Uh, see yours truly and the rest of the amazing cast uh, from The House Guest. So let's start with The House Guest. The House Guest um, was a part of the DC 48-hour film project. So um, we shot in Alexandria, Virginia, by your friend and colleague, Lee Perna. Shout out to Lee, um, who not only is our producer, but also was the host. Uh, we you know, welcomed, welcomed us into his... Uh, house to shoot uh and uh, uh we got some interesting um things that we had to draw from the the opening um ceremonies our character was a chad terry our uh, object was a bowl and our dialogue was and you can quote me and our genre was um mistaken identity so uh francis you, how how in the heck did you come up with this film in a few hours, basically writing a script the night you're getting the the freaking info that's required for the film and producing, you know, a roughly eight minute film in, in just a matter of hours? How did you do that? Well, this is like my so that was my seventh or eighth time doing the 48 hour film project. And prior to that, I'd, I'd also done a few national film challenges, which are, which is sort of the same thing on a national level, but you still have that kind of uh, short time period to produce a film. And so I've had this experience of like writing these things in a real fast amount of time. And what I learned in those experiences is like the less people you have writing, the better, because the more yes. people you have, the more ideas are going to come in there. It's and like the more cooks people in the kitchen, fight. right? Too many cooks yeah, in the kitchen. Too many cooks yeah. in the kitchen. You don't have enough time for it because it's just such, it's such a short time that, if you get more people, it's like, oh, well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? So I found like the best way, I think I actually think what we arrived at was like a really good system. It's like, I came up with a basic plot 
told everybody about it. And then they would say, oh, well, you could do this and you could do this because I should put a lot of ideas from the cast um, when people were, and, and crew, you know, when we had a call um, after I came up with the plot and um, they said, well, we could do this. And that really helped to flesh things out. Like Ian had the idea for like the, um, him having this antagonistic relationship with, um, with Al's character. And then Janice said, and then they could become friends. And so like all of those things kind of built on each other. And I think, uh, and everybody had like some great ideas that they had thrown in and then that all helped to, to build it out. So like, I, th I don't think I'd started writing at that point, but then I sat down and like knocked out a six page script. Cause it's like, you're, you're capped at seven minutes for the film. So I write it for six. Seven minutes is the max, right? Seven minutes is the max. The minimum right? is four and a half. Minimum is like four and a half. Yes, that's right. Right. Okay. And for wow. everybody here, um, screenwriting 101, one page of screenplay equals one minute of screen time. That's exactly roughly, right. Roughly, roughly speaking. So that's what I aim for. It's like, let me aim for six. And then that gives us like, we have a full story. And then um, I'm, I'm not actually like, I have that number in mind, but as I'm writing the story, we just kind of end up there and I'm like, okay, perfect. Right. Like six pages and change is like, we're, we're good. And um, and so that's how that that happened. And and it was easy. I, I actually love the 48 hour film project from the writing perspective, because I it works better when you have these parameters, when you're given a genre line of dialogue, all that stuff. I have things to write around. And then with the actors, I've always like in all of my independent film projects, I always write a lot of the roles for certain people, because like there I have a lot of actor friends and I would write things for those people. And um, that's exactly what I did with this. I mean, you know, I had, we had our five actors and we had, and Ang had like a schedule conflict and the, the genre was mistaken identity. So I was like, okay, perfect. And it's like, <laughs> so we can have Al playing Chad Terry and can come in at the end of the day and be Chelsea Terry. And then um, the Mahusai family was easy, you know, Elaine, Ian and, and Jenna as a family unit. Um, and I think they, they worked perfectly. <laughs> we took that uh, photo outside and Jenna's like do we look like a family and I said like, you do look and it like I thought they worked perfectly so um I was just so happy with the way that with the whole how the whole thing turned out but yeah but in terms of like the the writing it's it, it helps to have those kind of like uh restrictions honestly because when you're writing from from zero it's like you're kind of paralyzed by the the possibilities of everything so I like writing around those uh those parameters I mean, you already had in mind the overseas uh, Filipino worker, right? I, you know, I've, the overseas Filipino worker is always, when they said substitute teacher, that was the thing, that the character was a substitute teacher. It's like, well, great. Okay. OFW, no problem. Because my, right. my wife is one. <laughs> right. My wife and her friends, <laughs> our friends are are all like uh, uh, overseas Filipino workers who are right. teachers. So yeah. um, uh, that became, I was like, perfect. Like, that's what I can do with yeah. this character. Yeah. Wow, and uh, it was such a fun time on set, wasn't it, everyone? Uh, what was one of the highlights for for you guys for the house guests? Uh, I, I just love channeling for me, channeling my my father uh, with his accent, a uh, little bit of a few uncles uh, maybe, uh, but uh, you know, just to channel their their persona a little bit for the character of of Chad uh, was a lot of fun, a lot of fun for me. Um, I uh, loved, I loved it. Allie, we have to introduce you. <laughs> so joining uh, BTB, a familiar voice to the BTB listening audience. She's one of our recurring co-hosts, the adorable one, Allie Dash. 
Glad to be back as always. Yes, we have a very special panel, Allie. Everybody uh, on the panel uh, got some Filipina in them. <laughs> yes. And I love, like, it makes me so happy, for, like, Francis, like, what you're doing and everything, like, yes. seeing that Filipino representation and, like, growing up and just never having that representation. Or anytime you saw someone who was either Filipino or mixed, they were never Filipino. They were always usually, like, Mexican or Hispanic. Um, and so just, I don't know, I love finally, like, you know, then we've got, like, Joe Coy's movie coming out this week. Yes, and, Easter Sunday. Um, yes. It just, it makes me really happy to finally be seeing Filipino representation in film. Yes. And that's what, is that what you had in mind, Francis? Um, uh, these past two 48 hour film projects, you want to stick to strictly uh, Filipino um, cast. Obviously the crew was a mix, but yeah. Uh, yeah that, I mean, that was like, again, it's been something I've wanted to do for probably more than 15 years, you know, since I've been a filmmaker that I wanted to get, Filipino actors together and and have a majority Filipino cast to like tell those stories. I mean, like before it was cool, right? So, um, <laughs> before it was cool. Right? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, I'm thrilled about uh, Easter Sunday, and it's like you know that's the kind of thing I'd aspired to do for a long time, and it was just like didn't have the um, it's just like the stars were not aligned yet, and like mm-hmm. now I think it's now the time is it's now it's possible. So 15 years ago, when Jana was just like a, you know, I was waiting for Jana to be old enough to play the teenager in these films. So that's right. Really, she that's was in we diapers. Yeah. So she now that one she's one year old in diapers, she's ready to make her <laughs> I mean, I think I came in at the right time, to be honest. But yeah, as Ali was saying, it also really makes me happy because growing up in the Philippines and then moving to the states, I never really had a Filipino community to be with, and. It's just really great because I was missing my hometown. I was missing, you know, my, my you know, pri- primary language, just speaking Tagalog in general and like getting to speak Tagalog in the house guests as well. Like, you know, that just makes me so happy. And I know it makes my mom happy and everyone that we've showed. And it's just all happiness with this cast and crew. And it's amazing. Awesome. I showed my mom the film as well, and she loved it. Awesome. Awesome. So the house guest is um, available for people to see on YouTube. Again, CiscoVaris.com is uh, the production company for Francis. Uh, you can get direct, a direct link to the house guest to check it out. I wanted to ask Ian and Elaine and Ang about uh, their experience on the house guest. Oh, gosh. Like you guys said, it was just immediately the vibes were like great vibes you know the great vibes between all the cast so that started everything awesome can you hear me okay yeah we can hear you good okay good so the vibes were great and then the story was great and then you asked what the highlight was earlier and my highlight al was your accent (laughs) like (laughs) the highlight of everything it just made everything light and funny and it was just like so spot on. Um, so that was a highlight. And Thank so, you very much. Yeah, Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, that. Uh, yeah, I came into this having no expectations and it just like blew it out of the park. So exceeded my expectations. Yes. How about you, Ian? Tell us about so, your um, house guest. 
I got the like I was figuring out like in each scene how I was going to make this like more kind of awkward or uncomfortable with our scenes together like at least like give the audience something to like ooh or ah or uh something about and um when I came on actually um before Barcard of DMV I had been in six 40 40 hour uh competitions and like five different teams and um like out of six times probably made it to best of twice so like that just goes to show how like like each 48 hour like i learned something new and like it you just figure out quickly like it's not easy to make a film so i like coming into this team i was like wow i'm I'm really blessed, you know, we're all, we're all really blessed to have each other. Like this was like such a good thing that we like, yeah, like as Francis said, like the stars couldn't have been more aligned. So everything just came out, like worked out perfectly. Like I, I was betting my life that we would make a uh, best of on the first one. And we did. So yeah, there's that. I had a lot of fun doing this. Love it. Now, now, Ang, uh, you haven't done too much acting prior to the house guest, correct? Tell us uh, how, about how your interests started to give it a shot. Yeah, not at all. Um, I think I've done like a couple of student films, but I just started showing interest in acting this year. Um, I did some theater in high school, but I was like background, you know, I was the tree, I was doing props. It was all always in the background. And then I was like this year, hey, I'm seeing these things. And I'm like, you know, I really want to be I want to be there. I want to be, I want to have that spotlight shining on me. And then I saw uh, Francis uh, shouting out on social media. I was like, Hey, I'm Filipino. I'm new to this. If you're going to have me, I would love to be part of it. And he even accommodated my tight schedule on the first one on the house guest. And I say I was there for a short time, but I instantly, I knew I was like, this is a great group of people. Like I want to spend more time with these guys. Yeah, so thank you very much for having me. And it was a lot of fun. That's the best part. You know, I think we just had a blast. Uh, You're definitely a natural. Like, I would have thought you'd been acting for a while. And I loved, I remember you were telling me that you, um, because one of my favorite parts of The House Guest was at the end when Elaine's character is like, wait, what? And then you start it, like, all over from the beginning. <laughs> And just like the happiest voice, like I loved that part. And um, I remember that you was, telling me that you did that. Yeah, that was that, improv. That that was improv. In the script, that actually wasn't in the script. Yeah, <laughs> that was so funny. Of, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So, uh, so the house guests uh, got three awards at the uh, best of uh, for the DC 48-hour film project. Uh, and uh, those three awards included Best Acting Ensemble, Honorable Mention. My opinion should have probably been the, the winner, but nonetheless, Honorable Mention is great because it recognizes the entire cast for our acting efforts. Um, best Use of Dialogue, um, and that was great. I guess I had that uh, particular line, and you can quote me, um, which was the uh, quintessential line that was needed. Uh, and I heard that if you don't get that line correct, you're you're disqualified from the the film uh, project. Is that true? That is true. And shout out to Lee Perna who saved my butt on that one because I think I left out the and. It's like and you can quote me. So I just put you can quote me. I also got the name wrong. So 
it's been a while since I've done one of these. And like, uh, I was kind of going, so Rhonda Mendoza, one of our other producers, she had like written all this stuff down on a napkin mm -hmm. and I was kind of reading the napkin. And so it's like, so Terry also a, uh, a, a first name, in fact, a, a name that could be of a man or a woman. So I was like, oh, it's nice that they offered that option. Right. So I'm thinking like they've given you three names here, Chad, Chelsea, and Terry. But no, it's like Chad or Chelsea, Terry. Um, and then the line, you know, so so Lee caught me on those things. And so that Lee, is... uh, Lee saved my butt because Lee's this was not Lee's first rodeo. This is like Lee's 15th rodeo or something. Like that. <laughs> right. And, and has had the trauma of being in a project that got the line wrong and disqualified. So that's why he was uh, watching me particularly closely on that. And I'm very glad he was. That's right. The required line and required prop is essential because that shows that you're shooting this film within the 48 hour time frame because a lot of people could be submitting old stuff, you know, if they didn't have those, you know, requirements set. Right, Francis, because you'll pull out something out of the archives and just say, hey, I'm done. Boom. You know, right. But, yeah. You yeah. Know, That's like the, you know, um, how people hold up the the newspaper. I still have those, but like, you know, prove the date and whatever. It's like that's that is your proof that you completed it in the specified time that you draw right. those elements and then you have to incorporate all of those elements in the film. Yeah. And I think the best award was the audience award that uh, we, we tied with another group, I believe. And that's just proof that we were the favorite of the audience. Of course, um, the winner of um, the 48 hour film project for every city goes to film Palooza, and that's by a judging panel. But I think it's just great to, to say that we were the favorite of the audience, you know, you know, audience, you know, obviously going to vote for their own films, but they got to vote for two other films. So we, you know, we kind of uh, shined in that aspect, Francis and, and team, you know, I thought that was fantastic that uh, we were able to, to, to get a favorite vote for our peers, you know, in other films. So, you know, when yeah. we were walking out of the theater, a lot of us were together and, you can all um, attest to the fact that so many people were walking up to us saying, oh, my gosh, I loved your film. Oh, my gosh, I voted for you. I mean, they said it to me a thousand times. I saw random people saying it to all of you. And that just felt so good. Uh, and Absolutely. It's a to the fact that they did vote for us, but also it was like validation. Like, yeah, they really loved it. People really liked it. Yes, absolutely. All right. So let's start talking about Pinoy Noir. This is the second 48 hour film project uh, film uh, that was part of Baltimore, even though we still shot in Alexandria, Virginia. So <laughs> um, I guess the, the part of it that was Baltimore was the prop that was required, Francis, the, the crab mallet or crab hammer, if you will. And uh, we, that was uh, a very Baltimore uh, type yeah, of uh, very prop. Very Baltimore staple. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course they required character. Was a uh, Nathan or Natalie Bellevue, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. How to author. Right. How to author. Yep. Yep. And the required line is, "I know why you're here." Uh, so that was the the um, dialogue that must be in the script. And um, I had the pleasure of attending the kickoff along with uh, Jenna. Joined a little later and uh, uh, got two uh, choices of genre. One is Road Trip, which <laughs> I don't think would probably work with a cast of seven, number one, number two, already having locations set up. Uh, just would be a logistical nightmare. And the other option, I was, I was like, wow, this could be a tough one, but 
Francis, how did you feel when you first found out that horror was the genre for the uh, film? I was okay with that because when we going into this one, uh, Doug, Doug Cause, shout out to Doug, our, um, our sound guy on both films suggested to me, he's like, hey, do a noir for the next one. And I had actually made a joke on Twitter about Pinoy Noir because it's a play on words and I can't resist a good pun, right? And I said, yeah, it should be too. like a series called Pinoy Noir. It's like a <laughs> Filipino uh, detective in the 1940s. And he's like going around and like, you know, solving crimes for the Filipino community and stuff. And um, and so I had made that tweet and then uh, Doug mentioned this and it, it actually took a little while before I was like, oh my God, I'm just going to call this thing Pinoy Noir. Why not? <laughs> and um, so, but we wanted to do noir. We wanted to do this style, right? Black and white, high contrast. Um, Ian's got that great voice. I said, he's a perfect hard-boiled detective. And his face, he's got the perfect face for like a hard-boiled detective. Um, Elaine already, I could see perfect uh, uh, femme fatale for this. Um, I was talking to Lee oh, yeah. about the idea. It's like, hey, here, you know, I was like, okay, here's here's what I got so far. And then Lee's like, um, He's like, oh, Ang's got to be like the sidekick. <laughs> it's like, it's like I think Ian and Ang together are gonna be great, and and that was true. So, um, so we had like those kind of basic ideas, and it's like, okay, what happens if I get like these different genres? It's like, how are we gonna fit it into this concept? And I was like, horror. And I, it was even back then, where I was like, okay, I was like, Jenna could be a ghost, probably. I mean, I was like, so, so like even back then, I was like, yeah, we'll just put Jenna into like you know some uh, horror makeup there, and uh, and and we're good. So when we got horror, I was not intimidated. And I was uh I was telling I was sharing this with Ian and uh and Andrew, our composer, and and Al, I think you were there after the after the screening. Like RC and I, my wife, were in Party City buying some props. It's like let's try to try to find a hat, let's try to find some stuff. We got makeup and stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> it, when, that's when we got the elements. So we're standing there and Al Al Ali and Janet were representing us in Baltimore, like sending us these elements. And so RC and I are standing in Party City trying to buy stuff. So it's like, it's horror. And we're like, okay, get some face paint. And like, we're grabbing some stuff. And then I'm processing. I'm like, okay, how are we going to work it out? You know? <laughs> so then we we stopped at Popeye's for some some food. And that's when I basically... <laughs> Shout out to Popeye's. I messaged everybody with the plot. By the time we were in Popeye's, I just said, okay, here's the basic plot. And I sent it out to everyone. So um, kind of it kind of helped uh, to have kind of uh, real-time results um you know given to you yeah uh, from we were we were in the we were in the store buying stuff we were like we need yeah. to find some hats but we uh we had plenty of hats so we did okay um thank you for yeah. everybody who provided hats for this uh, film yeah. and um and yeah so that's it, like the basic plot of it came together <laughs> uh in in that time because it, and i wanted you know my goal with these films also and beside getting together this cast was also it's like I want everybody to have like a decent scene, right? So you have something you can put in a reel. Um, and so that's like uh so it, it's easy to like then because of the nature of like a police procedural or a detective procedural, it's like they're gonna do an investigation, they're gonna go talk to suspects. And so that you know, Allie gets a scene, Keith gets a scene, um, Elaine's got her scene. So like, and then uh, you know, my only concern was like, I hope Jan is okay with like not having like lines. And Janet was totally fine being in ghost makeup and scaring the crap out of everybody on set. So I don't think she was disappointed. She did have one line, Allie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. 
No, yeah, and I was telling Francis, I was telling Francis and Arcee this the other day at the Filipino Fest that um, my mom and I went to. Um, The night before we knew, like, what we were doing, I had bought so many wardrobe options, like, hangers on hangers on hangers and i wanted to put them them. all in yes i did i went out to probably like six different stores just trying to find these clothes i'm like okay i need to portray my character i have no idea who i am but i need to and like this is his basic idea and you sent my mom like you know pictures and inspo for the wardrobe and the night before it's like oh okay he wants either me or ali to play the ghost girl and I did not know what to expect. And when you said that I was playing the ghost, I also did not know what to expect because mm. I didn't have any lines, but I was kind of fine with it because I was like, okay, like I could do a ghost, but I was concerned about the makeup. Like I didn't know how to do ghost makeup, but when it came all together with the white gown and everything, it was just like, I scared myself. A I loved times. it. We were, I, when we were shooting, oh. there was a mirror like right in front of um, Jana and you looked at it and like, I think it was twice. You scared yourself. (laughs) I scared myself twice. And (laughs) so I hope everyone else who watches it gets the same reaction because yes, I I was pretty proud of myself with a party city makeup. You did great. I mean, it looked just as creepy as any major studio Mm -hmm. horror film. That's for sure. That was, Uh, that was when we watched it in, um elaine helped you right i think elaine gave you a hand with the makeup did she well yeah, i'm not gonna say no because she was there for moral support she was okay, you know cool. by my side and you know encouraging me and okay. <laughs> taking pictures but yeah it was i mean and i appreciate that so much like elaine wrapped early she was done could have gone home but she stuck around the whole day for yeah. moral support and we were very happy to have her there yeah. um but um <laughs> but that was on the uh, on at the screening in Baltimore, that was one of the most satisfying moments. It's like when we watch the house guests, it's like when you hear people start to laugh, you're like, okay, good, we got them, right? You did your job, and you did your job. With Pinoy Noir, it was like uh, once that first jump scare comes in, and I hear people laughing because they got scared. Yes, like, yes. So yeah, the jump scares worked, and that was uh. That's uh, the important that thing of, of a great horror film is is having those uh, jump moments for sure. And one of the happiest thing I was able to do is to bring on my Below the Belt show colleague, Ali Dash, uh, to uh, also be a part of Pinot Noir. Ali, how, how did you enjoy your experience? You told me you hadn't done anything in front of camera in a while. Uh, of course, you did some stuff with Below the Belt show and click on this show. But as far as acting, it's been a minute, right? It has. Um, I was like doing so much on screen acting. And then. Um, my last thing I think was 2019 and then the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some health issues, um, but I'd been really wanting other than voiceover. I hadn't really done any on-screen acting, which has always been like my number one love. Um, and so I had been wanting to get in back into it and Al knew I'd been wanting to get back into the screen. And plus like knowing it was like an all Filipino cast. Like I, I really wanted, um, Al had sent me information when you were doing the house guest, but I was actually going to, in Pennsylvania, when that um, shot, so I was really, really thankful for Al for reaching out to me and then for Francis for you um, bringing me on board. Um, I, uh, it was 
It was a great time. It was uh, yes. We brought Allie in. We also got uh, Keith Ayones, who I've known his sister since I was in high school. So uh, uh, so it was good to bring Keith on, who's also uh, done some incredible commercial work. And he had a principal role on We Own the City. So it was good to – he's actually in Germany. So uh, oh, cool. uh, right now, shout out to Keith Ayones. Um, we did an incredible job with his Arnis skills in uh, Pinot Noir. Um, that was really, really fun. Um any highlights for uh, Pinot Noir for the rest of the team? Ian and I know some people laughing. going to say something. I was like, Ian and Ang have to say something. Come on, because you guys, you were terrific. You were we did both. talk to Jan already about her highlight, which <laughs> which is awesome. But how about Ian, Ang, or Elaine as far as Pinot Noir is concerned? Well, I noticed people laughing um, outside of the ghost scenes, so that was like always a good sign. Um, in fact, like drawing horror kind of scared me, no pun intended, because like, it's just a theme that I'm not like ready for. And like, you know, when we drew that, when I heard horror, I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> but like, it's not my job to like be part of the writing thing team. Right. And like, like this, that what Francis did with horror, just like you built my trust in Francis, like I, like what can't francis do at this point so i was like really when i read the script i was like okay we're gonna be fine we just gotta like do our jobs and execute um but like like i think this film was like extra special to me because like francis you know, you brought on my like my dear friend andrew uh for composing oh, yes. and I, yes fantastic you gotta talk was, about uh, that i had known him since college and like you know i wasn't sure when Andrew told me he was going to meet with you like this one time. I was like, oh, okay. I wonder how this is going to go. And then you later on, you announced him that he was going to be the composer. I'm like, oh, wow, this is awesome. And, you know, I like the night before, like I was like updating him because like he wasn't able to attend the, the meeting. And I was like, hey, Andrew, this is going to be horror. And then Andrew's like, here we go. Like me knowing Andrew, um, he's like probably the most talented musician I've ever known. And his specialty is in jazz. So I'm like, this that is gonna was, work out. That worked out <laughs> amazingly, Ian, because your boy knew the right genre. He knew the tone. Uh, the soundtrack that he he created was just it was impeccable. It, it worked perfectly for the film. Yeah. Huh? And like that was his like first IMDb credit. I'm like really glad. Like you know, I was like when I was sitting in next to him at, at the theater, I was like, mm-hmm. and then it's like theme song hit like. I'm like, yo, that's it. That's it. That's you, bro. You know, so that was like definitely a highlight for me. Like just watching my friend like Andrew come on board yeah. and like just lend his talents to us. But as Francis Francis mentioned, Ian, you you, you provide that uh, that deep voice that oh yeah really is so fitting for for a detective and you know so, you know uh, interrogating yours truly you know <laughs> yeah. The collector of the macabre of where, where the, <laughs> the hammer could possibly be. Uh, and then we have also who, who uh, like Jana, went out and like he was sending me, I guess it was Thursday, like sending oh, me. It's man. like, how about this? How about this? He was like at the store, like showing me like all these wardrobe options and we we're going through all this stuff. And then like um, we were like struggling with a trench coat. And then like and then he was looking for yeah. different hats. He was going through different hats and they put one on. I was like, that's it. That's the hat. <laughs> <laughs> that was the hat that he wears and it's perfect and I, yeah and he's like 
And then on the set, we'd like I just, uh, we were looking at the trench coat. I was like, yeah, I don't think the trench coat works. But the yeah. hat, the hat yeah. was, uh, you know, perfect. And like, so the, um, and he looked great. I mean, I thought he looked like perfect for the part. I think both Ian and Ang looked perfect in those in those roles. Yes. I, you guys were fantastic together. Like, I feel like, Francis, that you need to make like an ongoing series of Pan- Mystery. Um, Pan- yes. Yeah, yeah. I showed we, it. Um, we have talked about this, and I think you know, I, I think both of like all of the char- like the the primary characters in these uh, films are coming back in some yeah. way. So, Ang, how did it feel to to jump into a much bigger or substantially yes, bigger role for the second film? This was definitely a big jump from my role from the house guest to Pinoy Noir, and I'm actually I'm really happy that I was alongside Ian. I think the contrast, like I was alongside this really experienced actor. And I was like, you know, I'm all new to this. And I was like, okay, I gotta calm myself down. And Ian's just so composed. And then I remember like my highlights, every scene, like someone we'd interview, we'd always have these, this look, we'd always have this eye contact with each, with each other regarding whatever was being talked about. And we're like, hmm? And I was like, and it was very reassuring for me the whole time. like. I don't know, I'd goof off, and then he'd be like, no, relax, we're here to do the interview or something. It was just great. It was such a great experience for me. Very, very cool. And one thing we should add is that it, the film was entirely in black and white, because uh, I guess that newer title was very fitting. Uh, Francis, what made you decide to to go for the black and white um, composition? Well, that's, I mean, that's like a hallmark of, of film noir, and I've always wanted to do that. And then as I got into photography, I mean, and started to like appreciate light more. Mm-hmm. I just love the look of those films. And shout out to Sean Kennedy who came in as our gaffer and just did an amazing job with the lighting. Like, like I think two things. Andrew and and Sean were like additions to our team from the house guest, and they like made this this film noir thing possible and made it like work because it's like you know we um I feel like they they elevated it to a whole other level where I just. Thought it's like oh this is really good <laughs> so um and then looking at stuff on set you know it was just it was so terrific and i'm glad that uh you know we brought on ali and keith too and it was cool to, to expand the barcada and have um uh new members and uh those scenes and i and i <laughs> shout out to lee too again for uh taking one for the team literally by getting hit in the head with uh, <laughs> poly sticks and stuff, and uh, they they coordinated a uh, terrific little fight scene for us. So our, our film had everything. That was the, the yeah. thing about ours, you know. Like watching, I was like uh, impressed by the quality of the films in the Baltimore competition. But I was like, but you know, the thing about ours is like we got everything in ours. And it like looks really good, and we got this amazing music. And yeah, we're we biased, but we yeah, like we are biased. Chance. But hey, you know, <laughs> can't can't argue with. Yeah, it definitely had the vibe like my husband and my uh, mother and father-in-law who like are huge fans of like 1940s um, type film. They like absolutely adored it. Um, And like they said it like fit the vibe perfectly. And so hopefully uh, all of us will be getting together for the um, best of screening. So. Of course, we don't want to jinx it. I will definitely be. At we don't that want to line. jinx it, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to keep everyone posted on that. Um, I'm so but, sad that I was on vacation 
Um, it, and hey, vacation happens. It. it happens. Man. <laughs> you know? That's why you're good. That's why the big screening is is, is yes. paramount. You know. Um, so since we're having a Filipino panel right now for the special interview, I thought for the topic of the week we would do, which we do on every week on Below the Belt Show, try to kind of get the get to know the the panel better, uh, and wanted to make it uh, Filipino themed this week. Uh, so uh, the topic will be: What is your favorite aspect of Filipino culture? Be anything. It could be um, the food. It could be the music. It could be um, martial arts. It could be you know um, anything really. Um, first question. Second question: um, If you um, could get a Balak buy in box, and if you don't want to buy for our American audiences that don't know, it's kind of a a care package. It's a very nice care package that you would send loved ones. And it could go either way. Mostly goes from the U.S. to the Philippines, usually. I'd say about 99% of the time, right? Um, but I guess that 1% of the time, what would we want in our buy-in box from the Philippines? Things that we would, would miss and want to have here with us now. So uh, I'd like to start with Francis Abbey. So I think the aspect of Filipino culture that I like the most is um, it, it it's kind of a combination of things. So it's like, it's family. I have like a massive, massive, massive family um, in the Philippines. And it's great because when I visit the Philippines, I've got people everywhere and I can visit with them. And it's, um, and I love to be able to do that. And then that means like you have parties constantly and for everything. So it's like something bad happens, have a party, make yourself feel better. Something great happens. You're like, well, you have to have a party and celebrate. So and, uh, and like the uh, and and in the Philippines, there's an actual like the concept of bringing something. You don't go to somebody's house empty-handed. You always bring something. And there's actually a word for it, basalubong. You know, they actually have a word for that. And it's like so. I think it speaks yeah. to the culture and like what the culture is like. Um, and then in in my balik bayan box. So for my wife RC, she said she wants santol mango and chicken something, chicken isaw, which is uh, chicken intestine on a skewer. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but that's, that's for her. <laughs> Myself, so I have always been very impressed with the wood carvings from uh, like the north. <laughs> I think like, I know what uh, you're uh, talking. Okay, about. all right. You you, you think I, you know where I'm going with this? But I'm going to save that, and Ian can talk about that. <laughs> when I when I was a baby, um, I went to Baguio with my parents, and there's pictures of me with my mom, and like in like the wood carving shops where they've just got like probably the thing you're talking about on shelves and then like, you know, all sorts of religious uh, carvings and then traditional Filipino scenes and stuff. And I would, I don't think they make it, but I would commission some uh, wood carvings of some uh, mythological characters, some like, like a duende. I'd like to have a duende. I'd like to have Bakunawa from the, the Visayan legends, uh, Mayari, Apalaki, all characters, by the way, in my, my script Cebu. So um, that's what I would like to get in my Balak Bayan box. Those are great answers. All right, let's go to Jana. Jana, what's your favorite aspect of Filipino culture? And what would you like to receive in your buying box? My favorite aspect is definitely food. Like, the food is just so good, and it just makes me feel at home all the time. As I mentioned before, I did live in the Philippines for a few years until I was about six years old. Um, And I miss a lot of the food there, just having that local feeling and just at home and probably also as Francis said family I probably have cousins that I haven't even met yet in the Philippines so it's just like a whole big family tree 
that I probably have never met. Um, and for my Balik Bayan box, I would have Pancit Canton because I love Pancit Canton, even though it's probably not the healthiest for you. It's so good. Um, and uh, Polboron, um, the Goldilocks one, and Assorted Flavors. I brought that for, I think, the second film for Pinot Noir, and everyone loved it. Um, and what else? A Walis, because we need a new one. Ours is starting to break. It's been about <laughs> five years since we've been back to the Philippines, so we need a new one. And yeah, that's probably it. I love it. Those are great answers. All right, Elaine, how about you? What's your favorite aspects of Filipino culture, and what would you want in your Balak Bayan box? I would say my favorite aspect of Filipino culture is how <clears throat> fun-loving and kind Filipino people are. And I have found in my life, like when I meet another Filipino person, it's like instant kinship. I don't know if you've kind of come across that, but like my kids are in school. And if there's like a Filipino kid in the class, it's like, they're going to be your friend. We're friends. Where's your parents? We're friends. And it's just like this very easy, natural thing. And I, I have just, I, that's my favorite thing is, um, whether it's just easy friendships or like when you meet Filipino people immediately, they support you, you support them. It's just this unspoken, like, I got your back and I want to be your friend and we're friends now. And that's what I love most about Filipino culture. Um, and that's in my awesome. box, food. <laughs> I don't know if that travels well, but my favorite, my castmates know I like ube. So ube anything. <laughs> yes. Cupcakes. Um, and actually my favorite dessert is, uh, pastillas de leche. Yes. It's my favorite. I tried to make it once. Oh my God. Very hard to make because the milk is like buffalo milk. <laughs> I don't have buffalo milk. So <laughs> I use carnation. I don't know what I used, but, um, so authentic pastillas de leche in my box. Love that. All right. How about Ian? Same questions, favorite aspect of Filipino culture and what you'd like in your Balik Bayan care package box, if you will. So like, I think it's like no, it's no mistake. Like Francis and Elaine have mentioned this before. Um, it's people. Uh, we have like some of the most welcoming, peaceful, like kind-hearted, good people on like on the planet. Um, like sometimes when like strangers like would ask me like, oh, where are you from? And I would tell them, or like, what am I ethnically? And they'd like, oh my gosh, I love Filipino people because <laughs> A, B, C, and D. Um, but yeah, that like, they're also like just welcoming to like any strangers. Like you, sometimes when you're like in a Filipino community and like there's like one, someone who's like not, uh, obviously not Filipino, they, they're in there for a reason. And like, you could see like how welcome they are. Um, and like the one thing that I like to, I would like in my Balak Bayan box is uh, Ensei Mata and Puto. I don't know if those would like, you know, last that well in a box, but yeah, that's pretty much what I like. Oh yeah. I'm sure they have some uh, ones that are packaged well that can uh, withstand the, uh, the long arduous boat trip <laughs> up to the U S. So. 
Um, I also want to introduce uh, a great friend, Alexis Baroni. She's got a little Filipino in her as well. She's also a recurring co-host on Below the Belt Show, an amazing actress. She's an amazing filmmaker. She's an AD. She's super multi-talented. She's worked on every major production you can think of. Oh, God, stop. Alexis, <laughs> too many good things to say, Alexis. Thanks for joining our uh, Filipino panel on BTV. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Like, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So, Alexis, could you chime in? Maybe some of the aspects of the Filipino culture that you uh, – uh, admire the most and like the most sure. and and of so, course your Balak Bayan box yeah of course so Filipino culture that I love the most and and I'll be I'm gonna be 100% honest here like the only like experience I've had with it so far is through my grandmother um so she immigrated here of course for, uh, married my grandfather etc and so like I have yet to go to the Philippines and I have a lot of family over there that I haven't met so, like we're friends on Facebook we'll message each other here and there but like we haven't met but I think that's part of it, you know, just to echo everybody else's sentiments is just like my my grandmother has always been one of the kindest people. But then there's also just this insane element of like hard working and she's just brilliant. And she just like has this amazing like family oriented like um, heart that I love that like I haven't it's hard for me to find like elsewhere per se um maybe my husband's family but that's it's a whole other culture um but like so it's 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 that I think and also just like the joy like there's just this heart of like all of my Filipino family that like it's just that I've met and that I've I've seen um we had our my aunt came over um Ligaya and she stayed with my family for like six months <laughs> it was like they were expecting her to be there for a month. She's like, it's fine. I'm just going to stay. It's a typical Filipino like, house guest. They stay for a long time. <laughs> no, I mean, like, seriously, like, when I saw that, I was like, <laughs> like, it was, it was real. But, like, it was just like, okay. And it was so funny because she, she told us to call her Lola. And I was like, but you're not my grandma. And she's like, that's fine. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And I was like, Gammer, is that cool? She's like, you can call me Lola. And I was like, all right, you're Lola now. It's like. But like I just like I said, like there's something about the heart, you know, it's like there's there's that like heart forwardness. It's almost like an openness that I found um, that is really hard to find elsewhere. Um, and of course, in my Balik Bayan box, like I honestly, I'm a fucking nerd. Oh, pardon my French. I'm sorry. Oh, you can say whatever the f you want on the show. You know that. Sorry, I know. I'm <laughs> Alexis, you know this show by now. We're called Below the Belt I Show. I do, but there's young humans here. Okay. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so okay. I'm a nerd. <laughs> Owls over here dying. Um, I'm a nerd. So like I, I studied um like I, I really love language. So like I would probably honestly want to read like I'd probably want to learn like um I believe it's pronounced like Bebeam. Like uh, it's like the traditional script. Um bye bye. I'm sorry. Bye bye. Thank you. Oh my god, I totally, totally messed that up. But like I would want to totally like read that, learn that, like with with the fact that like I've studied Russian and stuff like that. Like it's like I love script. I love I love kind of that stuff, and I think it really pulls the heritage. Um, so I would want that, and of course, like I want some Lumbia, <laughs> like yes. and, and, and all the fun food. So like yeah, of course, like send me the food, bro. Like like drive yes. me everything. Like send all that to me. My grandma's 
spoils me every time I come over. Like, yes, I love so, it. All right. Yeah. Um, have we heard from Ang as far as the yeah Ang the uh, the uh, aspects of Filipino culture that you love, and of course your uh, what would you love in your Balak Mayan box? Yeah. So I think just to resonate with everyone, I'll sum it up in the word um, pakikisama. So basically, it's like getting along with each other, like or being together. united as a group, being together, companionship. That's the Filipino aspect that I really cherish. Like I'm like a really friendly person, so like companionship is really important to me. And as Filipinos, we get along with almost anyone pretty good. And like as everyone was saying here, it's like family, friends, someone who's non-Filipino, like. We, we can just click with anyone. So yeah, Pakikisama would really be the Filipino aspect that I would cherish. Uh, for my Balik Bayan box, I don't know if they can ship it, but I would love me some Red Horse. It's a <laughs> Filipino beer. Yes, a local of course Filipino I could, Yes, beer. I love that. Yes. So that You're not even old enough to drink. Come on. Yes, she is. Oh, Believe you would be very much surprised what? how old I am. That's no. You will be very surprised how old I am. Either way. Well, in that case, I'm going to curse as much as I fucking want to. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. I was so surprised when she told me. Like, they actually have, a pe- like, a picture of me reacting to when Aang tells me her actual age. And I'm like, in the picture. It's so funny. <laughs> That's my favorite That's party trick, really. Somebody was like, somebody asked me the other day, not the to deal real, but like somebody like asked me the other day, they're like, when do you get your license? I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to thank my grandma for that. Okay. I'm, yes. I'm that was great, Ange. And Ali Dash, favorite uh, aspects of Filipino culture and what would you like in your care package? The Palik Bayan box. My favorite aspect of Filipino culture is definitely what all of you said, family food um i like i love just like any like filipino people are just so warm and welcome and and it sucks being here with like my so my mom is the only one in our family that's here in the states um so my whole filipino family um my grandparents my my titas my titos all my cousins are all in toronto um and so my summers were always spent um we would go to canada and so I have so many amazing memories with my like millions of cousins and um, just like I love how loud millions of cousins. Well, not millions, but <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of cousins. Um, and actually, I have a few in um, the Philippines as well, and I love it. Like I've never met my one cousin, Bay, um, Bay, um, but she always calls me Ate, um, which I love, and I've just like always loved like. I had so many amazing memories, like seeing my family and getting together. And I love how like loud and like happy and just, just all of it. And then um, the food is like, I feel like any Filipino person, if you ask like what, like one of the main aspects of being Filipino, I feel like a sense of like food and community is like on the top of that list. Um it's funny, my husband's actually making the broth for Nilaga to have for tomorrow. Um, so I am like love Filipino food. Um, and so I guess for like my Balik Bayan box, um, it's funny, whenever my family does go to the Philippines, they always bring back a Balik Bayan box. 
Um, so I've gotten Balagbanyan um, boxes from my family um, from going to the Philippines. They always bring back like lots of Filipino snacks and all of that. Um, so, um, which is really cool. So that I've gotten, um, I guess my own care package from the Philippines. Yeah. Um, but I would probably want, like Elaine said, I am obsessed with ube, ube ice cream, <laughs> yes. ube cake. Like, it's the best. Um, so definitely some ube treats. Um, some sinigang, lumpia, that probably wouldn't be as good in traveling. <laughs> um, but and then, I don't know, I'd have to think about it. Um, I definitely want to go back. I had, sorry, I'm like rambling, but um, it's been almost 20 years that I went and visited the Philippines, and I still like have the most amazing memories um, from that time. Yes, absolutely. It's about the same for me. So. Group trip. Yeah, script trip to the Philippines. We can shoot the next film in the <laughs> Philippines, Francis. Uh, I guess I'll close off the topic. Um, yeah, everyone mentioned that, you know, the very important things, family and food. I mean, it, I mean, those are two important things. And you, you watch Joe Coy's specials. He always mentions Filipino food and how important family is. Um, but the one thing is, I, I think it was really uh, great because uh, what I noticed about American families, they're so quick to kick the kids out of the house, you know, and. Filipino culture is a complete difference. Like I remember working with a coworker, I was like, I can't wait till my son's 18 so I can finally leave for college. Parent, my parents wanted me to stay home for college, Dan. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, of course, if I was in between jobs, you know, and I wasn't able to afford a rent or a mortgage, you would always have that that door, always open, you know, to welcome you back. I still have my my childhood room. Um, you know, and with things that, you know, in it that I can still come back home to, you know, and, uh, you know, I think that's a very important thing about uh, the Filipino culture is how, how close the family unit is. And, and uh, you know, you're never too old to stop living with your family. And when you get to when your parents become a certain age, you become the caretaker. You have to welcome, you know, my might have cousins who've moved in there, their mothers and then fathers into their homes, you know, and it's not weird or strange, you know, it's considered you know, the proper thing to do, you know? It's funny, my mom, like, recently said, she was, like, she could always seem, she's, like, Americans always send their 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 parents and their grandparents to nursing homes. Nursing homes, right. <laughs> it's very um, different uh, in the Filipino culture. Uh, so that's a very, yeah, that's exactly right, Allie. Um, and uh, the love of singing. I just love, you know, I think it's so I fun to, I... to do uh, the magic mic or do karaoke nights and... Whether you're a good singer or a bad singer, it really didn't matter. Everyone was just having fun, whether it was the Gaelic songs or English songs. And uh, I guess because me personally, um, I've been told I'm a decent singer. So I've been uh, usually uh, asked to uh, to sing a tune at a family gathering or a function um, with, uh, you know, with maybe a little hesitation at first. But at the end of the day, you know, if they want to hear me, they want to hear me. So. Uh, so that's and music is very, very important. It seems like a lot of Filipinos uh, get into the artistic side for all of us here are actors. But a, a lot of Filipinos are great dancers. My, my cousin's in this nationally known dance team. My sister plays piano. She's amazing. You know, um, it seems like Filipinos are so damn talented at, at the arts, you know. Yeah, uh, I agree. I've heard a lot of people saying like, yeah. oh, all Filipinos can sing. And I forgot to mention that like karaoke is probably one of my favorite aspects yeah. of the Filipino culture because whatever like super Filipino household you go to, there's always a karaoke machine. 
And I feel very, very ashamed to not have one at the moment, Mm -hmm. which really makes me feel like a fake Filipina, but (laughs) I'm going to get one soon. I'm going to get one soon. Exactly. But yeah, I love, I love the singing and like when you're with your titos and titas and everyone, just your family and just singing. It's just so much fun. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Jana. And the Balak Bayan box, you know, um, I bet they've made some major like improvements to the barong. Because I know my barong is outdated. I know it's I know it's bedazzled. I know there's some cool ass designs out there. Give me a da- new barong, make it 2022, make it cool. Something I could, you know, wear at an event. You know, um, and of course let's not forget the snacks, yo. I mean, um, does anyone like those shrimp chips, those shrimp flavored chips? Uh, those are so yes. good. Nice. Some all the time. What about the shrimp? Yeah, the shrimp chips. Yeah, the shrimp ones. Uh, yes, they're so damn good. The banana chips. Um, really, I any do banana chips. chips. I cannot do the shrimp what chips. I can't get into it. you like better? <laughs> the kind that look like french fries or the kind that are like, like chips? The kind that the look that like, like chips. That look like the styrofoam out of your... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, and you mentioned... Someone mentioned pastillas de leche, Elaine. Yes. Pulveron. Um... Hopia, uh, Babinka, Puto, Filipinos, damn, they, they know desserts. So maybe like a flan kit or, uh, you know, any any of the, the Filipino desserts, maybe like a, any of those kits to make that that amazing, amazing. I mean, it's, it just seems more and more that we're seeing more of the um, the Filipino flavors. And in, in like and you see Trader Joe's, right, Elaine? They have the ubi flavored cookies. They have the ubi flavored um, ice cream. So I love how it's becoming a little more mainstream, and I love how Joe Coy has a Filipino movie with m- predominantly Filipino cast. It's going to be in theaters this weekend, and I remember reading the interview and saying, "Wow, he- he's so happy that finally the Filipinos are represented in an American, you know, American-produced film on the big screen." So this is actually a first. It's actually historical, groundbreaking, you know. And it- he's been trying to get. Um, you know, a pilot produced called Joseph and that wasn't really um, taking off. And then he decided to go the feature film route. And just after a while, he finally got it, uh, you know, to the right people. Uh, that That's why we're going to be able to see this amazing film Easter Sunday. So um, awesome. I heard yeah. that it, um, he didn't want it to be on Netflix because he wanted Filipinos to be able to see themselves exactly. on the big screen. It was important. It was mm-hmm. so important that the Filipinos had that moment. To you know, to be like yes, you know, and Tia Carrera even said, yeah, I've never really played a Filipino character before. She's you know, Wayne's World, you know, <laughs> Tia Carrera's legendary actress, and she said this is the first Filipino role she's playing. She's always played like an Asian with a thick accent. That's typically the the character she plays. So people like Joe Coy and Francis Abbey are, uh, you know, we gotta appreciate people like <laughs> instead of putting yeah. the Filipinos on the forefront. So uh, especially uh, when you like not. American? I thought it was an American produced film. Yeah, oh, it's a it's an American produced film, but it's a predominantly Filipino cast. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So it's what's crazy Filipino. is Filipinos are like the second largest Asian community in America, yet like so underrepresented. Right. That's a very very uh, another great point that you mentioned. Yeah. So uh, I think this is a great time to conclude our segment on Barcada DMV which is the Filipino, um, I guess, the subdivision of uh, Cisco Varas, right, Francis? Yes. So Cisco Varas 
Pictures was my like production company and Barcada DMV is a new entity for dedicated to these films and these people. Awesome. Right. Oh, I did have a question for you, Francis. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if like you had any thoughts like in your head um, when you did the house guest. I want to know who was CT. So Do you have like any ideas did, like in your head? We did talk about who CT was. And so w- what I was thinking was this is another this is a distant relative who like Ang's character, Chelsea, was probably telling, he's like, oh, yeah, so I'm going to the United States. I'm going to teach blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but I'm supposed to go at this time, right? So CT, who is just kind of like a freeloader, here's this plan. And it's like, oh, really? Okay. And, there's, <laughs> and they live where? Okay. So that's that's basically what happened. And and we may get into the backstory of that. Yes. We definitely need endeavor, a sequel. So. Yes. I, we were toying with yeah. that idea for possible. Well, we'll mention that I was pitching for a direct sequel. Direct so, sequel, holiday style. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing. That's the next project. Christmas. Yes. Filipinos love Christmas. Yes, that's it is a Christmas film. It's a Christmas film. <laughs> now has been pitching a, a direct sequel. So the Mohusai family will be back. And the are you, CTs are you, will be is back. That a, is that a go yet, France? I know you were uh, thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, I am... That is uh, what I'm working toward now. I mean, that's, oh, that's what I have in, in mind as the next project. Yeah. Yeah. So, you heard if you want any new characters, I would definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, it would be, be and it would be longer. I mean, I'm, I'm like aiming for like a 20 to 30 minute film on this one. Yes. So, yeah. so we'll it'll be a meteor <laughs> film. People get some more uh, scenes in this one. That is fantastic, yeah. Francis. Wow. We're, we're, we'll definitely have the panel back to promote. So we'd like to thank, of course, the amazing cast of Pinot Noir and the house guest. And uh, Francis uh, is going to be sticking around um, to talk some uh, entertainment, acting industry stuff with us. Um, Alexis and Allie will be hanging out. And we'd like to thank, of course, Jana, Ian, Ang, and Elaine. Thank you so much for joining us on BTV. Thank you for having me. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So much fun. Okay. Bye-bye. Have so much fun seeing you. Have a good night. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Good seeing you. All right. All right. So we got the four of us now. We're gonna talk. Uh, uh, and Francis, he, he, you, you know film. You know movies. You know, you know, you know pop culture. And not, I, not I thought, as well as some, but I not I as well as some, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Holly's been on this show for years. Alexis has been on the show for a while too. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just want to go over some stuff, uh, stuff going on in the world of entertainment, and uh, uh, let's uh, let's just throw it out. I guess we have a theme song for this, don't we? Yeah. So, <laughs> and this is from Maryland's own. It is time for the Hollywood Report. That's hot. That's bananas. That's off the chain. That's right. BTV covers everything in the world of entertainment. Um, all right. So let's uh, the box office. Um, wow. The DC's League of Super Pets, a number one movie. Of course, Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart had to do something with that, right? To be the number one movie. I mean, do you think if they had anyone else, it would have been the number one movie? It's also a DC property, you know, so that comes into play as well. 
But uh, yeah, open to a very strong uh, 53 uh, million over the weekend. Yeah. So uh, a very, very big, big opening. Um, I don't know if I plan on seeing DC's League. I mean, that's that's maybe a move to bring the nephew to maybe. I know Allie. Allie might bring the kids to see the DC League of Super Pirate Pets, right? <laughs> Is that something you bring the kids to, Allie? Actually, your kids are a little older to appreciate They are. Part. Yeah, my they daughter don't... turns 13 this week, or no, oh, next next God. week she's gonna be yeah, 13. Yeah, they're into Stranger Things now. They they're not gonna want to watch. Yeah, <laughs> they, okay, they my kinda... daughter's obsessed with Stranger Things right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Isn't everyone? Yeah, I'm 100% obsessed. Crap, guys, I'm gonna have to. Like... Oh, you're a little behind. <gasps> <gasps> We won't be talking spoilers. We won't talk spoilers, but uh, so mad. <laughs> uh, the movie Nope, uh, second place, uh, which I still have to see. I need to see that. Uh, Thor: Love and Thunder, Minions, Rise of Gru, and Top Gun Maverick still in the box office. The third, fourth, and fifth film respectively. Can you believe Top Gun Maverick still in the top five? I mean, that's that film's been around for a minute. It's been around. Yeah, I saw that time. back in like. I saw that in theaters June like third or fourth. Right, and and I think that's it's still around. that's still way after. I think that I think could drop sometime in May, right? I think so. Like I think yeah. it's Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend, yeah, yeah. It was only one of those big Memorial Day weekend movies, and uh, still uh, we're in August and it's still in the top five. So uh, that uh, I mean that is pretty awesome. The, the total since we. Is one Since we did the Filipino film. thing here, I need to I need to have an axe to grind with Top Gun, which I enjoyed, which was amazing. Yeah. Liked it better than the original, but I have an axe to grind with that film, which is that Manny Jacinto is in that film, Filipino Canadian actor who we love from The Good really? Place, right? He's in it, and he has no lines. He doesn't even have a close up. That's because, and what I what I had found out later oh. is that like a lot of those, there were like more storylines for the pilots. And he would have had a storyline, but in order to keep the film focused, they had to cut a lot of it. So that really bummed me out because I saw him. I said, like, "There he is!" I was like, "I knew he was in the film." I saw him, and I was like waiting for him to say something, and he never said anything. So I was bummed about that. I was bummed that we had a Pinoy in Top Gun Maverick, but like didn't get any real significant screen time. Yeah, that is a disappointment, man. You know, this is why we need movies like uh, <laughs> Easter Sunday, which you know could break into the top five uh you know I, I would love to see that i mean we we mentioned it a little earlier but uh it's a hollywood first an all filipino cast and you know joe coy says this is a love letter to the filipino community um and uh you know he just talked about a scene uh from the film that made him cry and the importance of representation uh, he was also talking about how many views the, the trailer got. 9.4 million views in the first three days of its release, uh, which is awesome. 9.4 million people saw a Filipino film trailer. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's about Joe Coy, you know, it's like, granted, yes, a lot of Filipinos do attend the shows, but he's he, he has a lot of other fans, too, of all, all ethnicities. A lot of people can relate to, to a lot of the, the humor uh, that he talks about, the Vicks Vapor Rub and, you know, and, and dealing with, you know, very intrusive parents, you know, things like that. So, and he says something about, everything. Yeah. And then, of course, casting Lydia Gaston uh, to be his mother was very, very important because he talks about his mother in, in his film so, so constantly. So, uh, so that's a... <clears throat> 
coming out this weekend along with, of course, um, Bullet Train. So this will be the final major release of the summer box office. And uh, yeah, Brad Pitt, um, apparently he wants to retire soon, but I don't know. I mean, if he's still put out hits like Bullet Train, I don't know why he'd want to retire yet. He's still, you know, he's still got it, man. The guy's still got it, right? You know, um, but he was talking about retiring soon, which is crazy. And uh, a lot, he went viral because uh, he actually was wearing a dress to the <laughs> one of the uh premieres of the film uh in germany actually and then at the la premiere he was asked why he wore a dress or a skirt to the premiere and he says i don't know we're all gonna die so let's mess it up <laughs> i just thought that was a very very uh funny uh response to that so yeah that's kind of like uh something i didn't expect so um but uh yeah that's number one on my um uh, list but number two is just something that just really boggles my mind we're talking about actors and crew putting blood sweat and tears in a project and for it to be completely shelled must be one of the worst things that a filmmaker can experience and actors can experience and i'm talking about batgirl so warner brothers will not release batgirl theatrically or on hbo max and this had a 90 million dollar budget right and uh it's a really stupid lame excuse as to why they're shelving it they said a strategic shift as it relates to the dc universe they say that leslie grace who plays batgirl is extremely talented the decision is not a reflection of her performance or the film and then they said that they really wanted to focus on blockbusters which again makes no freaking sense they have TV series, they have like Doom Patrol, they have Titans, they have DC series that are made for HBO Max, and they're just really just, I have a feeling that it just was bad, and they didn't want to, you know, sadly, maybe the film was was bad, and they didn't want it to be released because they're already dealing with a PR, PR nightmare with Ezra Miller as The Flash, and Amber Heard as Mara, you know, and, uh, you know, to put out a... Um, a movie that just didn't live up to expectations is pretty much my guess. I mean, you know, they, they figured that they couldn't monetize on the movie either, um, which just makes no sense at all again. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's just really, really sad. I mean, I mean, we all work on film sets, you know, as, as both in front of the camera or behind the camera. I mean, just how heartbreaking would it be for, a major project like that, just to not see the light of day. I can Beautiful. understand some, yeah, I can understand some indies. We've seen indies like, oh, let's make an indie, and oh, you know, we didn't have enough money to finish it. And like, okay, typical, you know. Um, so in all the, so in in all the contracts that I have now with like clients going forward, um, and in all the things that I've signed ever as like a freelancer, um, they've always had a non-complete clause, basically, where it's like, if this doesn't get distributed, if this doesn't get finished if this never sees the light of day you can't sue us um mm. and it sucks that in this case that they are using that clause but that has been right. like everything that i've done i want to say like at least eight out of ten things that i've done has always had that um if it is going to make like some sort of like if it is going to get seen um and and they're <laughs> Like, I think Variety leaked an article or, like, had an article, not leaked, but, like, had an article about uh, claiming, like, tax credit and tax breaks on this. 
um, strategically. And that is, um, I suppose that is a possibility as well. Yeah, you know, I did is, hear that too. That is, um, so like that's something I've spoken to some of my producer mentors about where, you know, if you hit a certain threshold or what have you that with certain, um, certain financing companies yeah. that you can, okay. you can, you can essentially do that, right? That they literally like, there's a certain amount of like money that you, you just are guaranteed to lose. Like it's, it's a risky market making media is risky. So I have a, my intuition tells me that it was probably just not performing well in like any testing that they were doing Test, yeah um, they did testing uh, for audiences reactions i think it wasn't doing well in testing and i think with all the other pr stuff that they're going through right now i think that they're that it's i think you kind of hit the nail on the head a little so just going to claim the tax credit and they're just gonna be like well that was 90 million down the drain. Let's see if we can recover at least 22% of it. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so. they, they probably don't also don't want like the DC brand taking another hit, right? Like if they put yes. out another yeah. like subpar movie, it's like that it's gone through enough. That, like, I mean, you've got the PR issues, but then also it's just all kind of muddled and confused, especially since like, um, uh, like they don't know, like is is the Snyderverse still a thing, or you know, like what what's the continuity? There's now? no cohesion because there's so many like alternate universes in the DC EU. I mean, we got another Joker movie coming out, you know, and uh, that's not related to DC EU. It just, but, and, uh, it's like, and it really sucks that this happens to be a female led movie too. You know, like exactly. that is also like just heartbreaking for me too. Like that's just like, oh, you know, like. Yeah, Fuck. exactly. That's kind of how I feel. And only, I, yeah, I mean, uh, when we've, we've gotten Harley Quinn and we've had a Wonder Woman-led, you know, female-led films, this is certainly uh, would be another great addition to it. Um, but yeah, and Leslie Grace is phenomenal. I mean, she was great in uh, in the Heights. If you've seen that, and uh, I know she was very excited. I know the directors. They said they're very shocked and saddened by the news. They can't believe it. As directors, it's critical that the work be shown to audiences. And while the film was far from finished, I guess a lot of post-production, wish that fans all over the world would have had the opportunity to embrace the final film themselves. Maybe one day they will. Maybe one day will. Hmm. I don't know. Is it is is there still a chance that audiences can still see this as maybe a video on demand? You know. Um, but then again, I feel like it, there's ways to I feel like there's ways to like structure the budgeting. So like you can take the loss this year, but then if you decide to revive it later, like you can just be like, oh, okay, let's throw 15 million towards post and then just go for it. Yeah. You know, like I feel like there's I feel like there's definitely a chance. Let's hope so. Um, I wanted to see the film. I, but I was really looking forward. In the to next it. five years, I'd be really surprised. Yeah. So I mean, that's me too. It's sad. It's really sad. But uh, another big DC movie, um, Jason Momoa, who's Aquaman, revealed on Instagram that Ben Affleck will be making an appearance as Batman in Aquaman and Lost Kingdom. So I have a feeling that DC kind of wants to capitalize on the fact that Batfleck is <laughs> in this because, again, you know, some negative press associated with Amber Heard, um, who is Mara. Um, but again, she's not the lead as, you know, the case with Ezra Miller, who's the lead of The Flash, they got a bigger problem with that film. Dude, I hate to say it. They need to, like, they need to can her ass. Like, they need to figure yeah. out some way to cut, cut ties and run. Really? I mean, like, I don't, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna get into, like, the politics of the whole thing or whatever, but it's just, like, right. 
if you somebody's making that big of a stink like i cut and run but here's the crappy part is once again it's just like it feels like it's all about the fucking women like it's just like they're <laughs> always getting fucked like over here dc is like warner bros get your shit together and like they do back to just like a moment like when you mentioned something about like the um like in the article or something that you'd said, it's like they want to focus on blockbusters. And I'm like, just the phrasing of that alone, their PR department also probably should just get entirely canned, entirely pulled over. Because it's horrible. Put a line like that out there. Isn't that a lame excuse? Non white woman led film out there? Ugh. Their PR, co- their PR is fucking up. Okay, I'm done. I'm getting too hyped. No, <laughs> you, I, I totally 100% agree with your sentiments, Alexis. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, so again, Aquaman 2 has an issue. You know, we talked about Batman. One film that apparently is has done really well is Joker. Of course, the Joaquin Phoenix. Um, they're getting a sequel. The, they just announced a release date of the sequel will be October 4th, 2024. Um, and uh, Todd Phillips uh, is writing the script again with co-writer uh, Scott Silver. Um, and Joker Folia Du is the working title of the uh, of the film. And Lady Gaga is supposedly um, attached to this um, film. Um, rumored to be playing Harley Quinn, which, you know, my favorite in the world is Margot Robbie, guys. You know that. <laughs> People know that Harvey can do no wrong. But again, I have to understand it's a different universe. This is a different Joker. This is a, you're going to have a different Harley Quinn. So I have to accept it. I, you know, I like LA Gaga. Yeah. I'm a fan of her. So just, I just don't think anyone could do better than Mark. Just, just what you're saying. Right? <laughs> we just had the Batman, which was very good. And like, that's another continuity. So it's like, there's like 8 million continuities so out there. So many continuities. That's the problem. It's like, you're just like, wow. And I know that, you know, the whole thing with like batman versus superman and then justice league was like emulate the mcu formula right right and it's just kind of all over the place absolutely all right well and that uh, also goes into like that also sorry i'm gonna nerd out for a second but like that yeah. also goes into their business structure too like that, that is a massive massive difference between like how disney is run versus how everyone else is run like and you can see that in the product. So, like, a lot of – it's just, like, guys, the amount of shit that I've been learning about the business side of this is insane. Like, it's just the, the quality. You know, like, you know the you inside know, out, man, you know? Like, if you, don't, if you don't have quality kitchen materials, you're not going to produce a good dish. Like, it doesn't matter. There you, you go. You know what I mean? And then, and then you can't chop it up fast enough. Like, it's – you have to invest in your materials behind the scenes in order to yes. produce good product. And Warner Brothers is still figuring that out. Yep, absolutely. So much confusion. They should take notes. They need a, like a Kevin Feige type to. They lead. need they need better headhunters. Is what they yeah. need. They need to hire people who are from D- Disney who got I don't know pissed off for some reason or another. And <laughs> right. Like that's really what they need to do. Yeah, and be the leader like Kevin Feige is for Marvel because he's done yeah. a fantastic job tying in not only just you know cohesively bringing all the movies and and shows on Disney, but also bringing in past you know characters and 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 like for instance spider-man and of course fantastic four and daredevil which was on netflix and just seamlessly bringing them into the the fold you know and that's what they need that's what dc absolutely needs so marvel's done fantastic with building its universe so well. so it keeps well. getting better and better yep absolutely 
Uh, all the Marvel news was dropped last week. It was too much to talk about. But listen to last week's <laughs> going on Marvel. All right, number three, a trailer uh, that we saw. Um, I'm really looking forward to Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Um, so this is um, an all-star cast. It's uh, Robert Downey Jr. It's Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, Rami Malek, Josh Hartnett, who we haven't heard from in a while. Um, Jack Quaid from The Boys, Matthew Modine, mm-hmm. um, Kenneth Branagh, Alden Ehrenreich. I mean, wow. What uh, an amazing cast. And, of course, Christopher Nolan, he had that one movie, the only movie during the early part of the pandemic, Tenet. <laughs> it was like the only movie you could see in the theater uh, because, he, you know, that that's how uh, Nolan is. He stands by the movie theater. He's like, I'm not putting that shit on TV. You know, he's he, he insisted that his film. He's old school. He's definitely he's old, school. old school like that. For sure. It was the only movie that was in theaters was Tenet, I remember. That and The New Mutants were the only two movies during the pandemic. Um, the early part of the pandemic, that is, when, when nothing was being shown. Uh, so that looks like a fun one. Um, and, uh, of course, that, it's all about the, the eventing of the atomic bomb. So um, that looks real exciting. Um, they're also making a movie uh, based on the Spirit Halloween store, which I think is really interesting. I love the Spirit Halloween store. <laughs> I have a movie now. I haven't heard I about this. this yeah, Christopher <laughs> Lloyd. He plays like a, a spirit who possesses everything in the abandoned store, who terrorizes a group of kids. Rachel Lee Cook, uh, starring as one of the boys' moms, Sue, who remarried after her husband recently passed away, and the trailer just dropped for that as well. So, uh, um, yeah, two two um, upcoming um, films that you can see. Although Oppenheimer's, that's not going to be out till next year, but uh, Spirit Halloween will be um, will be dropping on October 11th. So. Um, number four on my list. They just dropped the trailer for this one. It's an indie horror film starring Ashley Benson, but it's a very interesting marketing um premise about the film. It's all about NFTs. So, um, basically, they're opening um a sh- opening an opportunity for um fans to buy one of ten thousand limited NFTs. Um, character art based on the movies and if they you know sell them at 263 each per nft if they sell all 10,000 of them they'll make a 2.63 million haul um i think that's kind of i don't know i mean i just it's still a very new technology to me i i just don't know if it's something i can get buying just yet but it seems like it's, it's going towards the future and if Films want to market this way. I, I guess that's one way of doing it, but it's a very, very, they're calling it an erotic horror film. So it sounds like a very sexy, erotic um, horror type of film <laughs> with Ashley Benson from Pretty Little Liars. So uh, I don't know. Has anyone got into the NFT market? I, that's just something I haven't touched. No, probably, probably won't. <laughs> there are some authors that like, um, we're going to do a book and do, the nfts and it like mm-hmm. did not go well um there's some backlash and they ended up not doing it yeah see because there it was just kind of like fans you know contributing and then the authors kind of making money off of um off of the, the whole NFT process yeah the process right mm-hmm. 
And so yeah. it just felt felt kind of, I don't know. A lot of people were just so they ended up canning the entire idea. See? Mm. Can't even get it off the ground. Is it worth it, you know? And <clears throat> number five is uh, I guess a redemption for um Shia LaBeouf. He was one of the actors that got embroiled in the Me Too movement that hadn't acted since 2019. Um, and he has an upcoming film that's going to be part of the Venice Film Festival. And it's called Padre Pio. And it's going to be, ironically, <laughs> so he's been accused of Me Too or whatever, misconduct, but he's going to be starring as a Catholic saint. <laughs> so there's so much irony. <laughs> in this but uh, i don't know how to think about this one guys but uh i mean i don't know i mean the misconduct was was his ex-girlfriend twigs accusing him of abuse calling him calculated tricky with his tactics and to control her relationship basically is what that just sounds like codependency i'm not even gonna get into it but like right i I just have an issue with like trying to make badass religious movies right. <laughs> so right. I, I don't know like it just feels like yeah really hard to do <laughs> right really hard to do that's all that's all i'm gonna say i mean i mean yeah padre pio was a subject of both adoration and controversy because he displayed bodily wounds or stigmata that many believe to be aligned to associate with associated with the crucifixion of Christ. Um, and uh, he was canonized as a saint in 2002 by uh, Pope John Paul II. So I don't know. So, I mean, it's in the part of the Venice Film Festival. Um, maybe worth a look. We'll see. That's one of the bigger film festivals coming Well, up. if it wins one of the Lions, we'll definitely know. Right. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Number six is our films in production. This is a really interesting one. Um, has anyone seen the movie? Really, like subversive film called assholes <laughs> with peter back i know francis see i might have seen that film i don't know um maybe you've ha- ever heard of it it's it's a it was it's actually it was I, I think it made sundance uh, but it was probably the one of the most bizarre movies i've ever seen in my entire life it's so freaking bizarre so he's got a new sci-fi drama currently in production um the director's name is peter back it's basically a psychedelic techno satire about growing up in captivity. So it gets, you know, seems like based on this, the three lead actresses are being held captive, I'm guessing. Um, but it's uh, Dasha, Nekrasova, Betsy Brown, and Chloe Cher- uh, Cherry. Chloe, you might know from Euphoria, who's kind of one of the, the breakout stars. She was actually a, uh, a porn actress who uh, got mainstream attention starring in a major HBO series. This is crazy because most, most of the time the actresses don't, you know, move over to the mainstream. You know, they, they stick in their porn world and they do whatever after that. Um, I can only think of a few, like uh, Sasha Gray maybe, but not many come to mind mm-hmm. that have been able to, like, to, you know, once you get in that porn world, you're kind of, like, stuck in that porn world, you know. Um but interesting enough, she's she was she's gonna be attached to this. So um, let's see, another uh, film is uh, Cooper Rafe. Um, you might remember his film uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth. Um, he's got a movie called The Trashers. Uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth was a good film, by the way, with Dakota Johnson. Um, but um, this film um, 
He's getting um quite the cast. Uh, uh, Olivia uh, John Jay, I can't pronounce that last name, but uh, she was the breakout um, star from the Elvis movie, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, she, who played Priscilla Presley. I don't know if anyone got a chance to see Elvis. That was one of the films Not that yet. I totally, totally missed out on. I have to somehow find time to watch that one. But um, also uh, David Harbour of Stranger Things, Allie, he's going to be in this film as well. Hello. So it's about the fall and rise of Jimmy Galante, a garbage tycoon with uh, ties to the genovese crime family so there you go and um last but not least is snoop dogs uh return to the big screen in a sports comedy film called the underdogs with two g's just like snoop dog <laughs> <laughs> except for theatrical i will pay money to see snoop dog in anything he's like, anything okay <laughs> but seriously like i fucking love that guy he's just like he's just i don't know if it's him or if his management like between his personality and the business shit that he does i'm like yes can you be like my uncle and like (laughs) high with me like can we do that get high is right because he's 420 is that's that's what should be on his jersey because he plays a former nfl superstar who has a run-in with the law and winds up coaching youth football in lieu of going to prison so uh wow this sounds like a like a serious i mean it's a comedy but this is a role that i, I would imagine still requires some really good acting chops and you know i don't see too much of snoop on the acting sounds film, wholesome but, yeah what we'll the to, to check it out what like the fact that he's like i mean he has fine acting chops have you not seen him in all of the corona commercials like <laughs> the corona commercials. <laughs> i don't know if i've ever seen snoop dogg in a like in a film and yeah, he's on, he's, and he's on yeah. a wine bottle. I mean, like, he's Oh, I, I picked up a, a bottle of that wine for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> she loved it. All right. So we also have reboots and sequels. Uh, so it's number seven on my list. Uh, nobody saw Book Club. So why do we want to see Book Club 2? <laughs> Anyways, that comes out Mother's Day 2023 with Diane Keaton, Jane Fonda, Candace Bergen, and Mary Steen Virgin. Definitely not my genre of type of film. That's I'll be skipping that one. Uh, a reboot includes Working Girl. So this is the popular 80s movie with uh, Sigourney Weaver, Melanie Griffith, and Harrison Ford. And uh, Selena Gomez apparently uh, is producing it, casting not set. I imagine Selena will star in this. I mean, it's an ambitious 30-something. that um, secretary takes over the whole off- office operations while her boss is recovering. And um, yeah, I could totally see, um, you know, see her doing that. You know, I mean, Selena, uh, she's doing great things with her uh, Only Murders in the Building uh, TV oh, show. I need to see that. Yeah. I've heard so many good things about it. It's probably yeah. going to be watching Paper Girls right now. Um, and then I've heard good things about Paper Girls. So good. And I'm a huge fan of the comics. Um, Brian K. Huge fan of Brian K. Vaughn. Yeah. Um, and. But I think only Murders in the Building are gonna, is going to be my next watch. But I highly recommend watch. Paper Girls. It's a Stranger Things meets Back to the Future. I heard. Is that is that a very accurate uh, description? Kind of. I think so. Well, the funny thing is, is there's been like so many people are like, oh, Paper Girls is like a ripoff of Stranger Things and all this shit. But Paper Girls actually came first. Like the comics, what came out prior to Stranger Things even coming out. Okay. So it's its own its own thing the show is like straight from the co- like it's has a lot of changes but like the vibe 
and the actors like everything is like so it catch like captures the vibe of the comics okay perfectly so highly recommend checking out those the graphic novels and watching the tv show all right Perfection. uh let's see other reboots uh apparently reese witherspoon said with the success of top gun she wants to bring back legally blonde and do legally blonde three so uh I guess that's an early development, um, but she does want to that's, that's That's early, 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 early news. Like, if that comes out in the next three years, I will be fucking surprised. Shocked, right? <laughs> she like, basically I mean, said she wants to do money. it. It's about, like, figuring out all the right. rest of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get the money. It's about figuring out the slate. Exactly. Because, you know, you want a good story as well. And... Uh, and then there's another. We already have Creed, right, from Rocky, but now they want to do a Drago spinoff with MGM, and that's uh, screenwriter Robert Lawton, and it will center on um, Dolph, uh, Dolph Lundgren's Ivan Drago uh, and his son. And apparently Sylvester Stallone is not happy. He says once again, pathetic 94-year-old producer and his self selfish useless children are once again picking what is left off the bones off another wonderful character uh, <laughs> how do you look yourselves in the mirror i'm sorry to the fans i apologize to the fans i never wanted rocky to be exploited for this greed dude it's just because Dang. he's not in a fucking movie he was a part <laughs> of creed you know i was gonna say i was like dude you're fucking in it like he was in Creed. He's not going to be in this drag-off spinoff yet. No, as far as honestly, I'm... though, if that entire movie isn't in Russian, I will fucking lose my mind. <laughs> it should be, right? I mean, how... There could be... I mean, like, look, honestly, I would fully... Especially, you know, with my background, with, like, you know, my, my ties to that side of the world now, it's right. like... You know, it's like, I... I think it's important if we're batting for representation for certain people, we bat for representation for everybody. And I think to see a cool, good story done well about like that side of the shop and like that era would be really cool. Like, I think it'd be badass. It would be great. He has a problem with it. He thinks he's, he thinks it's greedy. I don't know. Totally is a hundred (laughs) percent. You still do good with greed, you know, like, Talking about the guy's family, it's just he just take it a little too far. They're, but they're next, building the Rocky shared universe here, you know. Yeah, and that's going to culminate in the the Rocky Avengers or something. That's what it could be, absolutely. And the next Creed movie, by the way, which is the third one, will be released um, March uh, 2023. Originally, it was supposed to come out this year, but uh, honestly, I'm like, once we hit two, I'm good. Three is like Three. that is just. Things come in threes. I think if it goes to four, forget about it. But All right. I'll, you know what? I agree with that. I trilogy that. is the way to go, right? And uh, last thing before we take a classic cut break, MGM lost the rights to Tomb Raider. So apparently we hadn't seen a second Tomb Raider up since um, Alicia Vikander's um, you know, iteration of it in 2018. And apparently MGM lost the rights because it basically the time ran out. You know, um, it was basically a bidding war and they had until May of this year to green light the sequel and the, that time had passed. So now Hollywood movie studios are trying to put up bids to take over 
that franchise. But you know, Alicia Vikander, she did fine in her role. You know, I'd hate for them to reboot it again. I mean, we saw Angelina Jolie who did a fantastic job in the first iteration of it. But I don't know. I don't know. Are people clamoring for more Tomb Raider? I don't know. Um, but uh, I did like Alicia Vikander's version. If anything, I think they should stick with that. You know, I don't know. I think I think um, from an optioning point of view, I think that they might have let it run out because of that, like because they might have too many other things on their slate right now that they're trying to figure out. Yeah. And it just feels like. I feel like. I feel like Alicia's like Alicia Vikander did fine, like I don't think it has anything to do with her. I think it just has to do with the market currently. And I don't necessarily I tend to agree with you. I think if you were to go into market research, I think that that might be the reason why they let the option run. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like. Optioning is so complicated, especially because you have to plan on taking a risk financially in something you're not sure of. Mm-hmm. So I think that they probably did the right thing here, but. I don't know. Like, I loved the Tomb Raider movies, like, when I was growing up. Like, fucking loved Angelina Jolie and that stuff. Mm-hmm. If I if I was coming at it from, like, a pure consumer point of view, I would love to see a completely, like, like a, a WTF what? I would never think of this person in that role kind of casting. If they were going to do it, I would want to be, like, shocked by the casting. But, like, also awed. Like, holy shit, I never thought of that. You know, like... Like, if I had to think of, like, a, a Laura Croft, like, I don't know. Like, I would want someone completely new, completely different. Okay. You know, like, doesn't have to be freaking white. Like, you know, like, I want to be, like... They could know? diversify that role. Mm-hmm. I guess they could do that. I mean, some people would be up in arms, but it, it's yeah. been happening. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Well, honestly, I think... Other than white people, exist. Raider, <laughs> it's hard to imagine Tomb Raider not being Angelina Jolie. So, like, it doesn't really matter in that regard. Either, yeah, yeah. Angie was, I mean, she was basically the video game counterpart come to life. She had the yeah. whole bod, the, the lips, you know, the whole look. The whole she thing, yeah. The whole thing going on, no doubt. So, that's everything in movies. So, uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll talk television and um I was in Chicago over the weekend. I got to attend a really cool musical festival called Lollapalooza. Got to check out one of the days. I didn't want to be overwhelmed and have that encompass my whole trip because I wanted to see my cousin, a very good friend that I had since high school. And I dragged my buddy to Lollapalooza on Sunday to see Monoskin, Green Day, Charlie XCX. And um, this particular band uh, is... um, and originally it was supposed to be Jane's Addiction, which was one of my favorites growing up, but uh, Perry Farrell decided to change that up and bring on his other band, Porno for Pyros. And Perry, if you didn't know, he's the one that started Lollapalooza. He's the founder of Lollapalooza. And uh, we have to thank Perry Farrell because without Perry and Jane's Addiction, there would be no Lollapalooza, uh, which is basically the Coachella of the Midwest. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought what would be cool for the classic cut will be uh, a song, one of the songs that they performed at um, Grant Park in Chicago, uh, which is a song called Cursed Female. It's a real dope song, uh, and that's going to uh, be our classic cut. So uh, we will be back uh, right after that. And also uh, going to play uh, our exclusive interview from ShoreCon, our final interviews before we take our little hiatus uh, from B- much needed hiatus from BTV uh, with actor John Billingsley from Star Trek. He also appeared in the Tam 
uh, the the Pam and Tommy uh, Hulu show with uh, uh, Sebastian Stan and Billy James. He had a, a role in that. Um, consummate veteran actor. Um, uh, a very funny interview. So uh, that's going to be uh, mm-hmm. the break. So, all right. So we'll be back right after that. Guys, we're here at Shore Leave 42 with veteran actor John Billingsley. Uh, are you enjoying yourself this weekend? I'm having a great time. Yesterday I had a particularly great time at the bar, so this afternoon <laughs> I'm having a slightly less great time. That has nothing to do with the environment or the people. It merely has to do with the condition of my stomach and my bowels. <laughs> do you have a particular uh, cocktail of choice? Uh, for reasons that elude me, the young woman who was our bartender slash waitress last night decided it was her personal mission to make sure I never had, didn't, didn't have a drink in my hand. So I, I don't know why. I don't know why she took a shot. I must have reminded her of her drunken grandfather, but I, I kept being handed Manhattans all night long. Yes. So, That's my favorite. Yes. I, I, and I, forgive me, young and lovely waitress, y'all make a shitty Manhattan. <laughs> I really appreciated the gesture, though. <laughs> if I had my life to do over again, I probably would have just said, give me a shot of Irish whiskey and a water back. <laughs> You're part of Pam and Tommy playing the role of Bruce Hendricks. Um, a real uh, asshole. An, an Emmy-nominated uh, limited series. Uh, how was, how was your experience? Did I get an Emmy nomination? I did not. <laughs> Um, actually, though, yes, that experience was terrific, even though my character was an, uh, an awful fellow. I was, uh, the well, I won't re- recapitulate the entire episode. For those of you who haven't seen Pam and Tommy, it's a black comedy about the Pamela Anderson sex tape, sex tape. and it was extremely well done, and I played a real louse. That's all I'll say. I played a real louse. I know it's hard to believe for those of you who know and love me, but I can play a real louse. <laughs> but again, Emmy nominated. You must be really excited. I was Emmy nominated. I'm not in the least bit excited. If I don't get the Emmy nomination, what do I care? <laughs> That's a good point. Where's my Emmy nomination? Where's my Emmy? <laughs> I mean, you have such an amazing body of work. What stands out as your favorite television show and favorite film that you've worked on? Um, there was a short-lived show called The Nine that unfortunately only made uh, only made a very tiny splash. I think they only ended up doing 13 of them. Mm-hmm. But it was a great show. Chai McBride, Tim Daly, Kim Raver, about a bunch of folks who were held hostage when a bank robbery went awry. And I loved that show and loved the part I had in that show. Um, of course, I had a great time doing uh, Star Trek Enterprise. I was on four years of that, playing Dr. Phlox, who was probably closer to my temperament and personality than many of the psychopaths and louses I've played in the past. And uh, film, I have a relatively uh, uh, insignificant film career. I've made a lot of obscure films that nobody has seen, thank fucking God. 
probably my favorite film was Out of Time with the esteemed Denzel Washington. Yes. I played his best pal. That was a great little B-picture noir made in 2002 that you can see on cable television almost every single night of the year. Love it. And my residual statements love it too. You gotta love residuals. The gift, ki- gift that keeps on giving us exactly. actors now, right? Doesn't give quite as much as it used to in the streaming age, but yes. <laughs> that's that's for sag after yeah. to, to figure out, right? Yeah, figure that out, sag after. <laughs> I gotta ask, what is your, uh, how's your experience been on the Orville? That's one of my favorite shows. It shifted to Hulu, uh, and could we see the return of Canvas Boren? Canvas Boren died. Oops! Spoiler alert. Oh fuck! Okay. Sorry. <laughs> spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Uh, so I don't think you're gonna see him again. Um, but it was great fun to do. I got to dip Bob Picardo into a spoiler alert a pot of soup. And I love Bob Picardo, but I also love to torture Bob Picardo, so that was fun. (laughs) Oh my goodness, this has been amazing so far. Um, So how does it feel to be a part of uh, so many amazing fandoms? So Star Trek is a big one. Station 19 is is, is huge as well. Station Um, 19 has a fandom? The one about the firehouse? Yeah. That has a fandom? fandom. I didn't know they had a fandom. (laughs) I have not met any of the Station 19 fans. Are you a Station 19 fan? I'm not personally. I was going to say, do you know what I did in Station 19? (laughs) Look it up uh-huh. at IMDb. Uh-huh. I didn't. But you were a lawyer. No. I didn't. Uh huh. Uh huh. The depth of research here is really extraordinary. This man is steeped in my oeuvre. Steeped. Steeped, I say. I, I gotta admit, the one amazing series was unbelievable. I saw that from start to finish. That was a very, very powerful oh, series. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. I had a very small role in that. I was the judge who banged the gavel on the, yeah. on the horrible rapist. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Spoiler. You know, by and large, you probably shouldn't watch this anymore. I'm just going to spoil everything I've ever been in for you. <laughs> And um, is there anything less left on your dream list as far as uh, projects? Because, I mean, you seem to have done everything, though. I haven't. Believe me. Believe me. No, I don't. You know, I don't really have a dream list. I, uh, as a vaguely recognizable character actor, you audition and then you just throw it away because nine times out of ten, you ain't getting the job. So I don't think twice about it. I'm happy to be working. I'm happy to have made working a living actor. as an actor. Yes. Which is great. Absolutely. I've been able to devote a lot of my life to working for a not-for-profit that I care very much yes. about called the Hollywood Food Coalition. Check us out at hofoco.org. We share and rescue food with about a hundred other not-for-profits in the Los Angeles area. We also serve a hot, nutritious, multi-course meal to all comers seven nights a week. Yes. And I'm going to plug Trek Talks Ooh. 2. Last year, we hosted a Jerry Lewis-esque telethon with about 50 Star Trek guests. It was virtual, and the gag was we raised money for the Hollywood Food Coalition. It ran for about six hours. We're going to do it again in January, so check that out. You can see last year's on YouTube, Trek Talks, and I think it could also be found by looking up uh, Trek Geeks, who helped kind of put it on. Wow. Trek Talks. Trek Talks. Gotta love it. John Billingsley, guys. This is amazing. Uh, very funny, entertaining interview. Thank you so much for talking with us. You're up Below My the Belt pleasure. show. My, I'm a what, what, what? Below the Belt. Below. <laughs> really? <laughs> below the Belt. Uncensored. We hit bo- <laughs> As Bob Hope used to say. <laughs> and, uh, we'd love a promo if you let us know who you are, John. 
and you're on Below the Belt show and throw out a catchphrase. I'm John Billingsley. I'm on Below the Belt, and I don't have a goddamn catchphrase. Maybe that's my catchphrase. <laughs> Tremendous. All right. So that was Porno for Pyros, Cursed Female, and uh, a great interview with John Billingsley uh, from uh, Star Trek, uh, from the Pam and Tommy show on uh, Hulu. Uh, and many more. He's been acting for decades. And, uh, of course, we're going to close the show with our final two interviews from the Shore at Leave Con. All right. So where do we leave off? Uh, yes, uh, televisions, Netflix, and, of course, uh, Netflix, they're doing more and more um, direct-to-Netflix movies. There's four going to theater, it seems. Uh, we talked about last week about Gray Man, and now they have a couple films that we're going to be seeing soon. One is, um, uh, yeah, it's with Idris Elba and David Lech. David Lech actually directed um, the movie Bullet Train uh, and Deadpool 2. So I was saying on Netflix, yeah, they're doing a lot of movies straight to Netflix. Gray Man is what we talked about last week. Uh, this week we have a, a movie called Bang, starring Idris Elba and David Lech who actually directed Bullet Train, which you're going to see this weekend. That's the big movie coming out with Brad Pitt. And it's based on a comic series from Dark Horse Entertainment uh, from Matt Kent and Wilfredo Torres. Basically, it's about a terrorist cult that sets out to start the apocalypse with a series of novels meant to brainwash the readers. So the, the book actually brainwashes the readers and creates this apocalypse. And basically, they have to track down and kill the author responsible for these books. Um, <laughs> that's pretty dark. Uh, that's seemingly from Dark Horse, perfectly enough. But uh, has <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> it has the elements to, to be a very entertaining film. Um, so based on a comic book, but they're calling it a spy th thriller. Um, all right. Um, so What's let's see. Uh, it's it called Bang. Name? The same name, Bang. Yeah. Uh, and you said Paper Girls is a good adaptation, so there you go. That's also on Netflix, right? No, it's on... Um, oh, it's not on Netflix. I think it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Okay, gotcha. I think. Um, Don't quote me. I'm having to okay. pay attention when... That's all right. <laughs> when it on. I think um, it's... She just clicked on things, but... she's like, I want to watch this. Just right. <laughs> Another movie on Netflix I'm looking forward to seeing is Blonde. We got a second trailer. So this is Anna de Armas, who was playing the iconic Marilyn Monroe. I mean, she got the look down. Mm -hmm. After seeing that trailer, that. she is stunning. But like in the hair and makeup. If, like, if, the, if that hair and makeup wardrobe team does not get a nod for they like, gotta get a nod. awards. They have to. Right? Would you agree I mean, that it's on like, Casting's part of it, but like it's not right. all of it. Yeah, and she has a little bit of a prominent accent that's kind of noticeable, but you know, whatever, dude. The look is there, and we already know she's a great actress, and it's NC-17, so she's probably going to show a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but that's one oh, reason wow. I'm looking forward to seeing out of the Armistice <laughs> as the Marilyn Monroe and Blonde, that's for sure. Um, another, um, now we talk about representation with the Filipinos. Um, and this is the same with the Korean Americans. They have, and it's not a like Squid Game. Korean producers actually a Korean American um, character. Um, she's a lawyer, 
um, the first lawyer in her family who experiences the trials and tribulations of excelling at a prestigious law firm. And um, it stars Arden Cho, who you might know from Teen Wolf. And the, the comedy series is called Partner Track. And I got to give a shout out to um, an actress I've known years ago. She's completely blown up uh, in, in uh, the world of entertainment. She's from Virginia. Uh, Alexander Tertian. I don't know if you anyone knows her. She uh, she has done amazing in her career. She's from Virginia. Um, she moved on to do um, a series on Amazon. Um, I forgot the title of it with uh, Richard Kind. Um, and uh, she's a series regular in this. So uh, shout out to uh, Alexander Tertian representing the DMV uh, in the, as a series regular in this TV show. Um, called Partner Track. So, chair looked pretty fun. Yeah, so definitely might be worth a look to see it. I'll probably watch just to see Alexandra. You know, um, if you're a fan of Lock and Key, uh, season three uh, will be the final chapter. The trailer. It's been on my list since like season freaking one, and I still have so seen good. It yet. So good. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm a excited fan for it. I'm hoping it's Jill better. Jones. She was great in Coda fantastic encoder and she leads this particular series but yeah the lock family discovers the existence of a time travel key uh within the the, the key house and there's a new threat um determined to fill his own town with the keys in matheson matheson's that new threat so um ali you are I'm glad it's the last season well it's um, the books isn't it wasn't it um i haven't read the comics yet um okay. but it's definitely on my list of things yeah. I want to read. Um, but I'm hoping, like, I was actually really disappointed with the Umbrella Academy season three. So I'm hoping really? Lock and Key won't let me down. Not good, huh? Wow. No, it started out good, but then it just went downhill and I was, it was Yeah, I don't know. It felt, I kind of agree with you. Like, it felt because they trapped themselves into, like, it felt like because they trapped themselves in, like, a studio space. Like, it really fucked with the dynamic of the storytelling. Yeah. You know, like, and I did the not. The first two seasons, like, it was very location-based, right? But then, like, right. the, third, the third one, suddenly, it's, like, an, essentially, like, an elevator episode where it's just, like, everyone's crammed into, like, one space. And it, it didn't it didn't work. And I'm not sure why, but it just, like, didn't slap as hard as it should have. Yeah, I, totally I agree. Interesting. And it just, like, the, I think, felt like it, like, the family like it just like they were it was all over the place like it was like halfway through it just like became something I don't know um and then I also was so disappointed with what they did to Allison like I hated what the writers did to Allison yeah it was like Al we're gonna digress here for a second like that's okay (laughs) fill me in because that's on my list too to finish it you know it was I, I agree with you, Allie. Like, it felt, it didn't feel earned. Like, it felt like she went from zero to 60. Yeah. In a flash. Like, there was no build up to it. And if there was, they they cut it somehow, or mm-hmm. it just didn't, it didn't read. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. I think that, uh, you know, to give credit to the writers, though, I thought that they did um really well with adjusting to Elliot Page's changes. That yeah. I do agree. Like they did I, phenomenal 
with how they did the change and like I like the beginning of the season was strong and like I actually really liked how they how they did it and then how like supportive um Elliot like Elliot's um Allison was and Luther and and all of that and like they really addressed it really well like they didn't like just be like oh okay now they're Victor like no like they act they straight up they were like you know there were different dynamics they they really address it really well from like an LGBTQIA plus like standpoint I I feel as a straight person you know like I thought that they did a really great job with that with that without making it too much of like its own thing you know what I mean I thought I agree I thought it was great yeah, because you you need it. You need uh, answers to how that's going to happen, and that I was always curious how they were going to work it out. And Al, you had told me that they they did it in a way that made sense, you know, and they didn't want to have Elliot Page continue to play um, Vanya. Is that the the the, the character? Vanya. Uh, yeah. Vanya. I mean, like, yeah. Like, what's so funny? What's so funny is like Vanya in Russian like could be both male or female. Yeah, someone said that. Yeah. Like it doesn't have it could be masculine and feminine. Like there's definitely and like Sasha's the same way. Sasha's both Sasha both is another one. Yeah. So it's like it doesn't actually matter. But you know, in order for like the the literary subtext, the, like you have right. to change it. Right. Anyway, that, I digress. <laughs> that's okay. That's quite all right. Uh, speaking of the writers, writers uh, for Stranger Things are in the writers' room now. They they started on the I fifth and final that. season. They just uh they have their own uh, Twitter account, Stranger Writers. Uh, they announced uh, a picture of the whiteboard emblazoned with the logo for the final Fuck season. Off. I love that. Yes. I'm so yes. excited. Um, we won't, we won't talk spoilers, Alexis, but are you behind on season four? Dude, I don't even know anymore. Like, I just feel like, I mean, I want to say, like, I. Just... <laughs> but the series uh... ended with a cliffhanger. It ended with a cliffhanger. Cool. So, uh, <laughs> with, the, with the main antagonist, uh, which you already know, you probably know the antagonist, uh, as Vecna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we get to find out what happens there. Um, and this is kind of a fun tie in for, uh, for Lollapalooza. Metallica was the band that, Headlined uh, day one on Thursday. I wasn't there, but uh, Eddie Munson um, was there. Uh, he was backstage with Metallica. That's Joseph Quinn, his character of Eddie Munson. As you know, he, he made that song, Master of Puppets, uh, as popular, maybe not as popular as uh, Running Up the Hill with, with Kate Bush, mm. but uh, definitely, definitely got, you know, I'm sure Metallica was happy that it got the song a lot of attention. Um, that was cool to know that was actually him playing. He's an actual guitarist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joseph Quinn is a guitarist. So I am so glad they cast a guitarist, you know, an actor guitarist in that role. You know, he, I mean, and pulled, he was pulled off. He's fantastic as Eddie. Yes, yes, yes. He's very fantastic. And we don't know if he's dead for sure, you know. Um, oh. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, fuck. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's move on. <laughs> you spoiled or if you're a fan of first kill it's gonna go one season uh, so sorry to say that's bad news it was produced by emma roberts but uh, it follows teenage vampire juliet um played by sarah Catherine hook and and Vampire Hunter, Calliope, played by Imani Lewis. Um, but apparently it just didn't get the viewers. So 
that's going to uh, be canned. Um, I can't believe they're still making vampire shit. Guys, I think they're since 2008. Eight. Yeah, 2008. Yeah, that's the yeah. first Twilight movie, right? Guys, well, the, like, 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 move on. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, they're bringing back the Anne Rice stuff uh, with the uh, interview with the vampire. AMC is doing that, so I don't know. They're trying to they're trying to bring it back. I guess I don't know. Um, let's see. The last thing I have for uh, Netflix is uh, if you're a fan of, of uh, Squid Game. Which is awesome. They're going to do a, an interactive um, experience, like an immersive experience in New York City um, by a technology company called Immersive Game Box, where multiplayers uh, will play the same games in the TV show, like Red Light, Green Light, and Marbles. Uh, you won't actually be killed, but I guess you'll. <laughs> nope. Guys, you'll be like, yeah, maybe killed. Killed in the uh, the virtual video game sense. Yeah, like, like black out your screen or something like that. Nope, zero. <laughs> yeah, so no, that's been I made the mistake. I remember, fuck, where was I? I was driving back from a shoot, and like I stayed the night somewhere, and I was like, oh no, that's what happened. I just got guys like I just gotten back from filming overseas, and like I straight up like I was like. My roommate texted me. He's like, hey, so I have COVID, by the way. And I was like, fuck. So, like, I've been on a plane for 24 fucking hours. And then, like, this guy texts me. He's like, by the way, I have COVID. So, I was like, shit. So, like, I drive everywhere in Georgia. I find a hotel or whatever. And, like, because my my brain was so messed up with time changes or whatever. I was like, oh, whatever. So, I watched, right. I watched Squid Games. <laughs> Sleep deprived in a dark yes. room by my yes. fucking self. Like, it yes. was the worst best mistake i ever made <laughs> that's because it's so damn good and it was insane you couldn't it's you amazing. couldn't stop you can't stop watching can you i still need to watch oh. it so no spoilers <laughs> and, I, and i mean like and francis I, have like, you seen squid I game they had it like they had it yeah, dubbed okay. in english yeah. fuck that i watch it subbed like the yeah. actors are so good and i just like we just need to like as americans like mix dubbing for america oh, okay so i watched the dubbing Sub it. for Sub it. for yeah you think i should have watched it with the subtitles as opposed to dub i, I think mean, that like, would have been a better call were great for the dub like and and like i know like ali you do voice acting and stuff like that too like voice actors are amazing but like for some reason there's just something that hits a little bit differently when it's in the native yes. language and i think that's just because mm-hmm. i love language you know what i mean yes like, i recently and watched that's... um anxious people um which is in swedish and I started watching with the dub and I was like, this just sounds wrong. Hmm. Like the voice actors were good, mm-hmm. but it just didn't feel like, so I switched to um, Swedish and then read the dubs and it, I don't know. I prefer with the subtitles. I haven't watched it yet. I'll have to watch it. Oh, it's so good. Read the book first too. Okay. okay. The okay. book is so good. Francis, cool. what did you think about Squid Game? You said you, you did tune in. I did watch it. Yeah. And it was, um, it was very good. I, I liked it a lot. I'm very curious what the next season will be. Right. So you only have like, gonna, like two remaining cast members. Game thing, <laughs> or if we're going to be like, it's going to. Oh, that's right. Like, I could, you know, our, our protagonist. He told me. Like, Allie told me no spoilers. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Keep, keep your headphones off. Keep your headphones off. Okay. <laughs> no, we're, we're, done. <laughs> <laughs> we're done. We're done. We're done. We're <laughs> done. Yeah. Oh, very good. All right, number ten is Disney Plus, and of course, Andor. I'm one of the biggest Star Wars fans. I know everybody knows that. I believe Francis is a Star Wars fan. I think so. 
am I am I, I, I am a Star Wars fan. Now you and I are about the same age and like so we you know that was growing up. Yes. Like four, five, and six. And that's all we had for a long time. Long time, right. And then they would just like George Lucas would keep tweaking it and like we would watch right. the, <laughs> the the next version of that. And then um so I I don't know, I'm in a weird place with Star Wars. It's like I'm not like some people like you know, like the toxic fan base that hate everything. But at the same time, it's like I haven't really been excited for Star Wars in a long time. But okay. Um, but however, that said, I think the tra trailer for Andor looks great, and I think that Rogue One was like my favorite of the of movies. the newer movies of, of the newer movies. It's it's really weird because some people hate Rogue One. And I don't understand. No, it was with the better that was ones. a one really good movie, ones. and it, it was, was like. Ones. And I'm gonna geek out about Gareth Edwards real quick here because the director. Yeah. One thing that he is like very very good at is giving things an immense sense of scale it's hmm. like he did that like in that movie the all right who's not seen rogue one so <laughs> no spoiler rule right but like <laughs> i think that so, could be spoiled. however i mean you're not going to believe this but there's a death star in this film it's like it, i know it's hard <laughs> to believe that in a star wars film there's a death star and that something gets blown up but what? that explosion and how he does that was just like it had this sense of like it's like i felt like i was watching something real right and then um Godzilla. He also did Godzilla. Godzilla felt massive in in Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, and it was like all of the kaiju in in, in the in that film. He he just has this way of like making things seem really big in in, in an amazing way, right? In a cinematic way that you just like, there's this impressive sense of scale for everything that that I love. But Rogue One was uh I was is my favorite of all of these new films, like post uh, prequels, right? Exactly. So um. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know really where, where the hate comes from on, on, on Rogue One, but but so the Andor <laughs> series is of interest to me, and it's and great. the I thought the trailer looked it's very different from it? all of the series that we've seen so far. Uh, and you know what? One of the main reasons is they didn't do the um uh that 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 uh, real time back backdrop that 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 like virtual background. Oh, yeah. Okay. They didn't utilize that in mm -hmm. um, Andor. And, and there are moments when, within the Mandalorian Book of Boba Fett where you you notice that oh, okay it looks like it's very very much uh, um, the technology I, I forgot I forgot what it's called specifically but a specific name for the type of technology where it's basically giant screens and and 3D uh, projections of of the of the 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 landscape you know for every planet they go to. And apparently in Andor they couldn't do that. They because number one, it's twelve episodes versus the eight episodes of the other shows. And they have a lot of characters. Um, they have a lot more characters than um the other shows. And uh they already know um that's gonna run two seasons with twelve episodes each. So it's gonna have twenty-four episodes total. We're only gonna see the first twelve this year. And it's and this after the second season, it's going to go directly to Rogue One. So it'll be like a nice, seamless uh, prequel to Rogue One, which is great. So you get to know the backstory of Cash uh, and Andor, and and um, hopefully we'll see Felicity Jones, um, you know, character because I thought she did fantastic. She was my the, one of my favorite aspects of of um, <clears throat> of Rogue One was was Felicity Jones. Um, uh, character, um, she just killed it. And uh, Stellan Skarsgård, Genevieve O'Reilly is gonna play Mon Mothma, and um, of course Diego Luna as Cassian Andor himself, you know, and uh, Forrest Whitaker. 
saw him mm. in the trailer. So, um, thing about Andor, not as many familiar old school car, uh, Star Wars characters you'll see. You just really have to be a fan of Rogue One based on the trailer itself. I mean, Mon Mothma was a character was in the original, um, you know, um, original uh, Star Wars trilogy, but um, and it's the same actress that was in the prequels. It's not the same actress in the original trilogy, but same actresses in the prequels. So it kind of has a nice tie into that as well. But uh, it's exciting. I, I I think just the the quality the quality level is just uh, amazing, and uh, really looking forward to it. And and Rogue One and now Andor, you know, those stories were. Um, the thing about it is they you didn't have any Jedi, you didn't have any Mandalorians or any clones, right? You basically right. stepped away, and it was so it was kind of outside of Star Wars' usual, uh, yeah, uh, characters. So, someone that doesn't have right? any abilities, you know. Yeah. But you will have stormtroopers and death troopers. You'll you'll see those characters. Um, uh, the term is LED stage. That's the technology that the. I, that's what I thought you were talking about, but I didn't. I was like. I'm not going to say anything because I'm pretty sure I might be wrong. <laughs> it's called an LED. There's stage. so much programming and stuff like that that goes into that. It's just. Yeah. It's 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 crazy technology, isn't it? I mean, it it's does beautiful. look. I don't, I don't really understand the first thing about it, but it, it, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing how what they were able to make work for the first. Um, for the first two Mandalorians and, of course, uh, Book of Boba Fett. And I believe Obi-Wan also adapted that. Um it's just not going to be the case for Andor. Huh. And of course, uh, Disney Plus, we're go- I'm really looking forward to She-Hulk Attorney at Law. And uh, they just announced that, that new episodes will be dropped on Thursday instead of the typical Wednesday. So it'll be Thursday, August 18th will be the first episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. And this will be a half-hour comedy, superhero comedy. So it's a little more lighthearted. Than what you're usually used to seeing so that should be really cool all right um i think we talked all hbo last week um so there's nothing new on hbo but showtime the hbo's competitor uh they have a really uh they, they've had their ups and downs with programming you know they've had some hits with billions and then they've had a lot of stuff that gotten canceled um the first lady uh canceled after uh over six weeks mm. that it aired talk about uh that's a tough break, and this was um, basically an anthology series cut between different eras of the White House, um, with actresses playing Eleanor Roosevelt, Betty Ford, and Michelle Obama. I'll be honest with you, like I couldn't get into it. Did you try it? <sighs> I did, <laughs> and I will say, like it was. I think the concept is awesome, but there was something about it that wasn't clicking uh, like i feel like they should have crowned crowned it like i feel like they should have done it like they did with the crown which is like have different eras and like just stay fucking right. focused on one of those one. eras and instead then, of jumping the three different stories in yeah, one it, just, it didn't feel cohesive ah the cohesiveness is very important yeah it got a lukewarm response from critics yeah mm-hmm. writing that squeezing their stories together doesn't make for just confusing television but the service in the process, exactly what you said, Alexis. Uh, it's uh, confusing to put the three stories together. So that's not going to get a second season. Um, I literally skimmed it for like 10 minutes and I was like, nope. This oh, you only gave 10 minutes. You take the first like, episode. I mean, like, I literally, so like when I say 10 minutes, I mean like over like a couple of like, I was, I was in Montreal and like my girlfriend was like showing this to me and I was like, 
I was dead tired. I'd driven all day and I was just like, okay. And like, so I'm very, I'm already like really yeah. incisive, but then like when I'm tired of shit, I'm like, it's so like, I'm just watching it. She's like a squirrel and third or whatever. And yeah. she's like, oh, well let's fast forward. So literally she's like fast forwarding it for me. And I was like, I should be able to pick up the storyline. Like, and it's not, I'm not picking it up. Like I can put shit together in my head, but I'm just like, like they tried to do stuff like with the script and like with idea, like they they tried to stay focused on a values-based storytelling method, which didn't work in this case. Like mm-hmm. they were like, oh, okay, well, we're going to go over here with community with this first lady, but then we're going to go over here and we're trying to solve it over here with like the next first lady and this over. And I was like, no, <laughs> it didn't, <laughs> it didn't work. Like yeah. there was just too many other era, era specific things that were going on in each different eras that like trying to do it in a values-based thing or like, well, this first lady did this for community and this one did this for community. It just didn't. Yeah. Work. There's too many nuances. A and, lot like, of people agree just, with you. Alexis. I have so much to say about this. Yeah. That's a good idea, but it didn't work. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Yeah. It's too bad. They're not getting a second chance. I mean, I wonder if like another streaming service will be like, Hmm good idea let's let's make this yeah let's do this and make it better <laughs> six weeks until they're uh right after their se- uh their season finale decided they not to renew it wow i know wow. <laughs> so uh Damn, all right i need to send them some ice like that was a burn. that was a burn that was a burn now this um on stars they have a um a trailer for the serpent queen which actually looks really good it starts samantha morton you might know her from harlots the walking dead she played alpha it's a historical drama series, uh, contemporary spin on Catherine de Medici and her rise to power in Renaissance Queen of France. And uh, the trailer looked pretty, pretty amazing. And uh, Samantha Moore, she's so great at playing those really like evil, sinister, you know, um, <laughs> psychotic, you know, characters, you know. And uh, of course, we know Alpha is just so, so menacing um and based on the trailer i think she did a, a great job as a serpent queen so uh let's see over on amazon um jake gyllenhaal set the star in roadhouse a reimagined take on the classic movie with patrick swayze that starred patrick swayze and doug lyman will be directing this movie and uh i don't know man is anyone like clamoring for like a reboot of roadhouse it just seems like a movie that just was barely a hit i mean people I don't know. I don't I, think I, I ever saw Roadhouse. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't think it's a the, the movie. The original movie came out in 1989, so I feel like those are the movies you should remake. You know, the ones that weren't yeah. quite so good, and then try to make them. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah, because if it, if it didn't make such an impact, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of one that that really did. Um, Dune. Dune's the perfect one. Mm. Dune was very the original Dune. It was very underwhelming, and and the new Dune that came out. Knocked it out of the park. So, the pacing for the pacing for the pacing for Dune didn't do it for me. Yeah, it was a slow burn at some spots. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Just no, like, I agree. It's just like how Handmaid's Tale eventually got it. Like eventually, it was just like, okay, and we're gonna watch her crying on the floor for five minutes. Look, I'm all about art house, but this is not cutting it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, fast forwarded. Okay. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's see. We're also getting uh, a movie on Amazon based on um, Philip K. Dick. Um, he's known as a um, 
well, based on the name, you might think he does other type of films, but <laughs> he did a lot of sci-fi. And Charlie Theron and Alfonso Cuaron are partnering for this feature called Jane. So it's based on um, Philip Dick and his daughter, Issa Hackett. So uh, uh, also the boys, for you boys fans, which I am a huge boys fan, guys, uh, for season four, they're bringing in two new s- series regulars in Valerie Curry and Susan Hayward. And, um, yeah, uh, they're going to be playing two new soups. And um, Cameron Corvetti, who plays Ryan Homelander's son, is going to be a series regular for the upcoming series, uh, series as well. And um, Valerie is known for uh, Peacock's a lost symbol. She'll be playing a superhero or a soup, they call him, firecracker. While uh, uh, Susan Hayward uh, from Orange is the New Black will be playing a character named Sister Sage. So uh, huh. I'm a big boys fan. I can't wait. I mean, the season three. Uh, Francis, do you, have you seen The Boys? Are you a fan? It's uh, it's one of the, the best uh, superhero genre. Yeah, I am uh, a fan. Definitely a fan. Yeah. Definitely think it is one of the best uh, superhero properties out there. And basically, it's also... I mean, the satire isn't even really, it's not subtle. Right. <laughs> it's, it so, way. it's so then, in your face. It's very gory. It's very yeah. graphic. And uh, then just lampooning the, like the beloved comic book characters too. Yes. It's like turning them completely upside down. And then uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. Great cast. Terrific cast. So uh, much and, fun. And like, there's, you know, some revelations in there, like, uh, um, you're gonna have to help me out, but the like the actor who plays Homelander, Anthony Starr. Yeah, I mean he's tremendous, right? And like it's like where's this guy been? <laughs> you he's know, the perfect he's a complete breakout, and it's uh, yeah, it's he is fantastic, a complete psych psychopath, um, just no regard for for human life or others' lives, and and yeah, I remember that protester that threw a bottle that accidentally hit his son? Oh, he took care of him. That <laughs> that was just nuts. So. I'm looking forward to season four. Uh, I guess they're in the writer's room now um, working on that. Uh, Cindy Lauper will be acting in a series called The Horror of Dolores Roach. Wow. She's such a beloved uh, icon in, in in the music industry, you know, time after time. You know, one of my favorite songs of all time. And she's going to be in this uh horror Dolores Roach uh, show. And it's a recurring role of Ruthie. A Broadway theater usher who moonlights as a private investigator. Wow. Interesting. That might be worth a look. I've not really, other than her music videos, I, I don't know much about what Cindy Lauper can do as an actor. Uh, why do I feel like, why do I feel like they're literally just like, like they had her like come into the writer's room and then she's just sitting there like talking and they're just like, you would be a Broadway usher who moonlights as a private investigator. And then, <laughs> like, God. And then like, that's how they fucking figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, that's how the, just the, the, the best ideas come at like the spur of a moment, you know? Yeah. They're just like, okay. Exactly. Um, if you're a fan of the show, the wiles that will be, uh, that's ending after two seasons. So, um, sorry that's to say. In Australia, right? I think so. Yeah. It's, a. Uh, a yeah, a friend of mine. high school control group. Yeah. Yeah. And basically the control group. Um, yeah, and it's had a lot of comparisons to Yellow Jackets, but not as successful as the Yellow Jackets. But you have a friend that worked on it. 
he directed one of the episodes. Yeah. Oh, very wow. cool. How yeah. cool. Very nice. Yeah, he, awesome. I, I got the chance to work with him recently on um, a feature down south. That was a really cool learning experience. Um, very, very close proximity working with him. It was really cool. That is awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. All right, Hulu FX, American Horror Story will premiere this fall, the 11th season. Um, no announcement on the genre yet, um, but, you know, you know Ryan Murphy is he's pretty creative, coming up with all the – every year he comes up – or season, rather, comes up with a really unique um, genre for his anthology series. And um, also Fargo, the upcoming season of Fargo – uh, it'll be very different. It'll be more of a comedy. So that'll be interesting. And it's also going to be contemporary um, because usually they go in different time periods. As you know, Fargo, also an anthology show that jumps in to different time periods for every season. Um, interesting, a comedy. Fargo is a comedy. Um, FX is Atlanta. That They will have their final, fourth and final season, uh, which will drop on September 15th. And Elizabeth Moss, moving on from Handmaid's Tale. She's going to be on another show. Uh, FX-produced thriller called The Veil uh, hmm. from Peaky Blinders creator Stephen Knight. So that's uh, everything going on in FX and Hulu. They pretty much – everything that's on FX drops it. So it's pretty much the same network. For <laughs> um, you Better Call Saul fans, um, I know Chachi McFly, the King A, is a huge fan. I – Sad to say, haven't jumped on that bandwagon quite yet, but I do know that Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul uh, returned as Walter White and Jesse Plinkman, uh, and um, yeah, that was pretty a pretty um, amazing moment for the fans because it goes directly into Breaking Bad, and uh, apparently they didn't really care about the aging them because they said it's going to start re- look ridiculous. They uh. took. They took out a few lines here and there, you know, they have this like uh, this kind of mask that kind of like uh, softens the wrinkles. Basically, they use that, but they're not going to go any CG route because basically, you know, they're just like, you know, they're telling a story. You can roll it. Well, basically, they said you can roll with it or you can start picking at it. But basically, they didn't decide to make them look younger. <laughs> just look, if you're going to pick a suspension of disbelief, I would pick that one. Right. <laughs> right, because <laughs> uh, that that was a long time ago. The season one of uh, Breaking Bad. That that was. When did that come out? Holy shit! I know, a long time. What year that come out? <laughs> two thousand six, maybe. Uh, uh, something like that. Yeah. Like seven nine. Maybe someone should look that up. Yeah, that's it's like. Hold on, I can look it up real quick. Yeah, you mind looking that one up? Yeah, it's. Two thousand eight. 2000. Okay, there you go. 2008, right. We were all kind of somewhere in there. We were like, right. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, Brian Cranston, as, as debonair as he, as he still is, probably can't pull off. Um, Y'all, I was in freaking eighth grade in 2008. Right, exactly. <laughs> See? <laughs> and here you are worried about, like, our other cast members not hearing the, the F-bomb. <laughs> When I first Yo! met you, Alexis, you were still so in high school. Young. Okay. Yeah, like, likewise. We're in the same up. acting class. <laughs> Alexis. It's all those Filipinos in the house. Okay, we got some of that blood, some of that, like, you know, it's like, until we're 120, we won't actually age. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Can you it's believe that was of youth. 10 years ago when I first met you, Alexis? 
No. Because I started acting in 2012, and that's when, like, because I met you. It was, like, one of my very first acting roles. It was back in 2012. Was it Holy a... Holy um, shit. Wasn't that was for, like, the vampire show? thing that we tried to do? No, it was, it was um, Rebels. <laughs> yeah, okay, sorry. Yes. That was pre-post one of those things. Yes, Rebels and Rejects. I remember Re- that. Rebels and Rejects. Very yes. nice. There you go. I was go. playing a high schooler. <laughs> there you go, see? There you I don't go. think I can play a high schooler anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I don't know. I really honestly feel like you could. As I enter my be 34. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. God, and, oh, thank you. Oh. Awesome. You definitely like, still look like you're in high school. But I was like, Allie's just like glowing tonight. Like, I just... Thank Aww. you. You're, you're always glowing. <laughs> Air hugs. I miss you. <laughs> I miss you too. Okay, you we too. digress. Me too. <laughs> Cute, 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 cute eyes going on here. Uh, speaking of Breaking Bad, Kristen Ritter uh, is going to be in the lead role of Orphan Black sequel series um, called Echoes. And interestingly enough, Tatiana's line is busy with She-Hulk. So I guess, uh, yeah, this is a, a sequel series that's Kristen Ritter is set to play the lead role. So that should be cool. Basically, it's the scientific manipulation of human existence. Follows a group of women as they weave their way into each other's lives and embark on a thrilling journey, unraveling the mystery of their identity and covering a wrenching story of love and betrayal. Okay. Uh, let's see. Um, all right, number sixteen, Apple. We're almost done here, guys. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio has some kind of deal with Apple TV because I was really surprised to hear that Killers of the Flower Moon is going to go straight to Apple. And I'm used to seeing Leonardo in the theater, you know, and not going straight to streaming, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. And now he's going to work with an, on another project with Scorsese um, called The Wager, a tale of shipwreck, mutiny, and murder. So it's Scorsese's attached to direct uh, New York journalist Dave Grand's upcoming nonfiction book. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um Investigates the series of murders of the Osage people that took place in the 1920s. Um, and yeah, this is already the second project. Two Scorsese uh, Helm films. Uh, Apple Studios also in development of a limited series adaptation of Grand's The White Darkness. So, all right, uh, 17. Not much on Paramount Plus, probably because they're fledging subscribe. You know, they're trying to get those subscribers, but uh. Chris Rock is doing an Everybody Hates Chris animated mm. series. I just don't know. I don't know. I just apparently it's going to be catered to adults. So it's going to have like the, the the adult language, you know, that you didn't see on the TV show, you know, uh, which was about Chris Rock's, uh, you know, childhood. But uh, it's a half hour animated series that will be inspired by Chris Rock's own experiences growing up as a skinny nerd in Brooklyn. <laughs> so, you know, I honestly feel like I would watch that as an animated series. Yeah? yeah. Did you ever watch the original series? No, I didn't. But like everybody hates Chris. OK, I feel like I would rather watch it as an animation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like it'd be, I mean, if Chris Rock is producing, if he's writing any of it, then, you know, it's going to be funny as hell. So is he going to be like in like the same age or is it going to be yeah. telling like stories of like when he was like a because he was a like kid. what like a kid like yeah it's a, he, like middle school or high school 30, it's 30 years yeah it's gonna growing up as an as a, a skinny nerd uh so i'm guessing it will be the same like 
middle school. Maybe like new stories are like the same. Yeah, I don't know if it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Chris Rock is the narrator and executive producer. I doubt they'll do direct adaptation of the TV show, but uh, again, it's I do feel like animation might like be a fun way to. Yeah. Good. Um, what's it called? Medium. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. A good medium for it. Yeah, for sure. All right, number 18. It's kind of surprising news. So CW will end The Flash after the upcoming ninth season. So it's also going to be a shortened 13-episode season, which will um, arrive on CW later this year. So that's the that was kind of like the flagship CW show. Like Arrow ended, and now we're finally seeing The Flash come in. Super, Supergirl ended. So is I need to really- catch up on The Flash. I'm like behind a few seasons. Now you can now you can catch I, up because like it's ending. At a certain point, I was just kind of like. There's nope. the 18 to 20 episode, 18 to 24 episodes per season is just way too much for a TV too show. Too much. All those CV, all those CW shows, it's just HBO. Give me 10 episodes, or even Disney mm-hmm. Plus, eight episodes. You know, just like, that's why I can watch all these uh, Marvel shows because they're so. They're so yep. They're, they're so short. They're so short. <laughs> Yeah, so it just, you know, it, I can move on to the next show, you know? It's not, like, drawn out. Yeah. But I feel like there's only so That's... many stories you can tell. And I feel like every season, like, I loved The Flash, but, like, every season it was, like, Barry yeah. fucks up. There's a new yeah. version of, what's his face? I'm, like, blanking on his name. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, almost, like, the same old, like, same story. Like, someone's faster than Barry. Right. <laughs> it's reverse flash yeah, it's, or superman yeah. you know but you know what they should do is give grant gustin the role of flash oh, in yeah. DCU. I, I, I know i said it on the show before uh he's a he's more of a class act you know and, and people already recognize him as the flash and it could be a multiverse thing just bring him into the movie franchise and there you're done your casting is complete you can finish you think his managers are trying to get him to do that? <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's like yeah. a pure business integration. Yes. And it's a pitch. It's not an easy pitch, but it's a pitch. I would love I to I feel see. like fans would be like very happy with Grant Gustin. Absolutely. Stepping I'd into that role. Happy. I would be. I think he's a fine actor. I think he'd be perfectly fine on the big screen. Yeah. For the first season I watched The Flash, I didn't go beyond the first season, but he did fine. He did fine. All right, two more things on this list. Number 19 was uh, just a little bit of stuff with Lollapalooza in Chicago because I got to see a really cool city, try some deep dish pizza. Yes! Lou Malnati's? Dude, that shit was the bomb. Lou Malnati's, yes? It was between Malnati's and Giordano's. Chachi went up there and did Giordano's. A buddy of mine suggested Lou Malnati's. I was like, I'll do Lou Malnati's, you know. Um and I had a bomb uh, breakfast at Wildberry Cafe, known for nice. their amazing uh, pancakes and breakfast dishes. It's just ridiculous. Um, and Garrett's popcorn. I didn't know popcorn could be that amazing. You ever <gasps> think of popcorn being so amazing? It's Have you so had Garrett's good. popcorn? It's ridiculous. I don't know what they put in it. Is it crack? Or it's... <laughs> it, <laughs> it, is, it is 100% cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> just... They just like they go into the back and they're just like, okay, I know. Here you go. I brought a big tin uh, to mom and dad and they're ready to go up, like finished all the halfway done or <laughs> the tin, a big ass tin of uh, Garrett's popcorn. 
got to uh, catch up with a high school buddy of mine and of course uh, my cousin two of my cousins live actually three of my cousins live in chicago but i only got to see one of them uh but uh it was cool and then Lollapalooza, of course yeah that that was really cool um there's actually this is really lame because you know there's been terrorist attacks at concerts before and a security guard uh, has been charged of making a false ter- uh, terrorist threat because she wanted to get off work early. Can you believe that? She sent her supervisor an anonymous text message, mass shooting at 4 p.m. at Lollapalooza. We have 150 targets. Apparently, um, you know, the, her supervisor notified their supervisors and went to the police. And the counterterrorism notified of potential threats. And thank God it didn't affect my time there. But uh, apparently created a this this person, the security guard, created a fake a Facebook profile in the name of Ben Scott, and wrote out a post that read the massive sh- shooting at Lollapalooza Grand Park 6 p.m. And um, apparently they were able to determine that Williams, who sent the initial threat using text now, I guess it's like um, can hide your IP address, I guess. Um, but yeah, they were able to. Um, yeah, pinpointed to her and brought her in for questioning and uh, apparently set a bond for $50,000 and apparently now she's on electronic monitoring and locked up and uh, hearing uh, scheduled for next week. So <laughs> that's just so that fucking so fucked up. Fucked. Not fucked up. That's the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. And it's bad enough that we have mass shootings that sadly have occurred way too many times here in our nation and for it to happen in a music festival like that happened in, uh, and to that, use that as like a reason for wanting disgusting. to get off work like, yeah it's fucking stupid unbelievable Dude, there, i feel like there's something more behind that like get wanting to get off work is one thing but like they went so far as to like build a profile i'm build like a yeah, profile yeah and they just say i'm like i'm sick yeah. Or just fucking walk away. Yeah. It's like, a security job. It's not like you can get another security job anywhere else. It's so fucking like, lame. What? I know. I know. I'm shocked myself. Strange. But the good stuff was that the show was awesome. I mean, I talked about Porno for Pyros. You know, they they killed it on stage. Green Day was awesome. Played the same uh, time as J Hope, which I wasn't familiar with. I know about BTS. But one of the members of BTS is J-Hope, and apparently that has a huge, huge following. K-pop has really made a mm-hmm. – has been, it's, been, it's been very, very popular. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean – and Perry Farrell, I mean, he's the founder of Bob Palooza, you know. I mean, he greeted the audience with, hello, Chicago! You know, so I kind of get the crowd all riled up. But it does great for the Chicago economy. And apparently, Lollapalooza will be there for 10 more years. So that's really, really Aww. cool. Yeah. And one particular performance I have to talk about is Maniskin. They're an Italian band. They're from Rome, Italy. They're known for their hit song, I'm Begging. I don't know if you guys know it. Uh, I think begging so. You put your love in on. Uh, anyways, uh, so crazy stuff <laughs> happened in that show. Damiano, the lead singer, apparently like injured his shoulder crowd surfing or something. So he had to like put a bag of ice on his shoulder for like the last few songs. And then they have this bass player, Victoria Angelus. Uh, so basically, everyone was topless performing in this band, right? 
And Victoria it. had black X's or starfishes, whatever. And I guess with the heat and the humidity, they wouldn't stay on. <laughs> and she just didn't give a fuck. She just kept playing bass. And there's video out there, but she performed her, her set with Maniskin completely topless. And uh, that's awesome. <laughs> that was that was a great sight to see. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> So Lollapalooza was a lot of fun. Um, Chicago's known for great museums. The WNDR Museum was super cool. It's a good, uh, really cool immersive museum. The Art Institute of Chicago is super dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like the Impressionists, like Monet and and Cezanne, um, you know the the Sunday in the Park with George, that famous painting is there, and uh, American Gothic paintings there. The you know the, the farmer and his wife. You might know that particular painting. Super duper famous painting. Um, Dali, uh, Andy Warhol, you name it, all the all the great stuff and you know ancient art. It's just it it covers, It's huge, huge. I feel like I just heard the farmer and his wife painting is supposed to be his daughter. Oh, is that supposed but to be? But let daughter? me let me double check that because <laughs> yeah, I could I be wrong, that, but yeah. I'm pretty. Is that what it is, Francis? That, I saw that also. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I okay, so I was. It might have been my mistake. Then. <laughs> no, apparently I always thought of, it was the you know. Husband and wife, wife, but they right? actually know it's father it's and daughter. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. father and daughter. I okay. thought it was the husband and wife as well until I saw like a thing yeah. about okay, it. That makes like, oh, a lot more sense to this. Like I went to a museum earlier today and like I saw like some uh satire on that. So oh, yeah? that makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, now yeah, okay. So it's kind of like the, <laughs> the creepy relationship between the <laughs> And one cool thing about Chicago, the Sears Tower, now known as the Wills Tower, you can go to the top. They have this new – I think it's only been around for a couple of years, that feature where you basically have a glass ledge uh, where you can stand and take amazing, breathtaking shots, and it looks crazy. And it's really nerve-wracking because you're basically standing on glass. Oh, on, when I went to Canada, they had something similar with yes. like the CT Tower. It's the scary. Tower, very similar. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's a little nerve wracking, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I did it, man. I took my photos. You got to get your photo ops on that. And Chicago skyline was perfect. And, uh, yeah, overall a great, great trip. Chicago, very, very cool city. Great drinking spots. Did a little bit of both. I did the rooftop lounge and I did the hole in the wall dive bar. So I did a combination of both, you know, to get the, get the experience, you know, The, the rooftop lounge was super cool. It's called London house. Very, very cool spot. All right. The last thing on my list is uh, celebrity gossip news bits. Um, Will Smith uh, said uh, another his third apology now. So Chris Rock was finally talking about the slap. But Will Smith in an Instagram video just basically offered another apology. And he said why he didn't apologize earlier. He said he was so fogged up at that point. It's all fuzzy. He's tried to reach out to Chris. He's not ready to talk. When he is, he will reach out. Um, so, but Chris has talked about during his stand-up routine we mentioned on the show. So, uh, um, he also said he's really upset because it affected Chris's mother. So apparently, um, Will Smith really thought highly of Chris Rock's mother. Um, oh, mommy! I know, right? Um, they so, were friends. Like, have 
they were boys. Like, they've known each other since they, they were, were like teenagers. Exactly. That's why, that's... like, I don't know. Part of, ooh, part of me was like, part of me is kind of like, why are we still on this? Like, can you just, just fucking figure it out offline? Like, can we maybe, who, who, this is third who cares? Like, <laughs> yeah. It happens. I... We all know it's the Oscars, but also the Oscars is a whole other thing. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. Like, just fucking. And, it's and August. I know. That's why. I think, that's why I think this. We should move on. Uh, Dev Patel, actor Dev Patel, successfully broke up a knife fight in Adelaide, Australia. Wow. Yo, uh, Australia is like. They're very off. peaceful. What the fuck is going on with Australia? They're usually very peaceful. They don't even have any um, mass shootings because they ban guns there. Apparently, the murder rate's really low in Australia. But uh, but Dev Patel lives in Australia, and apparently, a man and woman were fighting in the street. And in the convenience store, and then a man was stabbed in the chest. Uh, but apparently, Dev tried to de-escalate the situation because he was there uh, at the convenience store. He said he didn't want to be known as a hero because the guy still got stabbed. <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> but I guess he was there to make sure that the ambulance arrived. And uh, in fact, Patel's team uh, stressed that there are no heroes in this situation. Sadly. The specific incident highlights a larger systemic issue of marginalized members of society not being treated with dignity and respect that they deserve. So there you go. Good for his fucking team. Well right? Exactly. Uh, looks like Amber Heard needs that millions to pay <laughs> off. So she sold her $1.05 million property in Yucca Valley, California. It's a six-acre home. And uh, she needs now $9 million. <laughs> So she started by selling her home. Um, apparently, a representative for Amber Heard did not res- respond because her name's on the property, but it inside sources say that it was indeed Amber Heard's um, house. And uh, yeah, she, uh, in fact, she's saying that she suffered financial losses as well. I mean, 47 to 50 million she's claiming over three to five year periods because because of the defamatory statements made against her so um but uh yeah she's in a rough spot but again if everything that she said was fabricated and not true then i guess she deserves it right so and of course we have to throw out our rest in peace for those that are no longer with us guys michelle nichols um who was Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek. Sally passed away at the age of 89. Um, She was one of the first black women to have a prominent um, role on a TV series in Star Trek. So very, very sad that we lost her. Um, And Nichelle Nichols, um, yeah, she she died due to natural causes. And... um, We also lost Pat Carroll, who voiced... um, Ursula and the Little Mermaid. She's also what? Yeah, a film actress, a television guest star uh, from uh, many of her works in the late 1940s. Yeah. Um, also, Mary Alice, top, Tony and Emmy-winning actress. Uh, she actually appeared as Oracle in Matrix Revolutions. Had passed away. I remember her role as the Oracle. I didn't know she's no longer with us. Uh, Bernard Cribbins, British actor, singer, and children's entertainer, passed I'm away. So sad about that. Oh, Doctor Who. I know you're a big Doctor Whovian fan, right? He's actually um on uh, there's pictures of him on set with David Tennant and Catherine Tate filming for the 60th um Doctor Who special. Oh wow. 
Yeah. I, uh, I loved him as well. Aw. He was 93. Uh, Heather Gray, uh, producer of The Talk, sadly passed away at the age of 50 due to an illness. And Bill Russell, a legendary Boston Celtics um, at the age of 88. And uh, with Death We Celebrate Life, for uh, those, another uh, trip around the sun, Tony Bennett. Can you believe Tony Bennett's 96? Happy birthday, Tony Whoa. Bennett. Yes, happy birthday. Martin Sheen, 82. Martha Stewart, uh, celebrity homemaker, chef, uh, ex-con. <laughs> <laughs> 81. Uh, legendary director John Landis is 72. Um, never heard of this person. Oh, James Hetfield Metallica. Happy birthday, James. is 59. Isaiah Washington of Grey's Anatomy is 59. Michael Ely. Um, actor Michael Ely is 49. Evangeline Lilly from Lost and Ant-Man is 43. Mammy Gummer, who's also the daughter of um, Meryl Streep. Uh, from The Good Wife is 39, and Georgina Haig for Once Upon a Time is 37. That's birthday today. And that is all I have. Uh, that was, wow, we went uh, pretty long and longer. I, I'd love to thank, I'd like to thank everyone for hanging in there. So we finished up. This is also, I want, it's nice to do a supersized show because yours truly does, needs a break. Uh, I've been really been devoting a lot of my time to the podcast, and I, I'm going to take a few weeks off uh, to uh, recharge the batteries Focus on being on set for some amazing projects. Maybe take another vacation. Also celebrate some family celebrations, parents' anniversary, my nephew's birthday, and things like that. So a much-needed uh, break. But uh, I, I loved how we ended uh, this uh, summer uh, season finale of Below the Belt show with an all-Filipino panel, both for Barcada DMVs, talking about the house guest. And Pinot Noir, and continuing on with our regular format of uh, entertainment talk, and I'd like to thank everybody that joined us. Of course, my my co-stars uh, earlier in the panel, Ang, Ian, Elaine. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thank you so much, Francis Abbey, director, writer, editor extraordinaire, cinematographer extraordinaire. Oh my God, am I missing anything else? <laughs> that covers it i think yes wow you've so many you. so many amazing talents and uh very similarly alexis barone Tony, you have you do so much uh both in front of the camera and behind the camera um of course uh ad um you you do um gosh my gosh you do everything in the crew right basically <laughs> yeah. you've done every position Dude, in the crew. from pa to ad right you've done it all right yeah wow that's, that's amazing awesome. That's amazing. Thank you, Ali Dash, voice actress extraordinaire. Great mom, the adorable one. Um, and Lux, we gave you a nickname. Uh, didn't we call you Whiskey Cupcake? I, I, we were trying to think of a, Dude, a catchy nickname. I don't nickname think we have you. a nickname for me yet. I <laughs> okay. swear we do not. Ali doesn't like her nickname, but she couldn't think of it's one. Grown, so just, it's grown on me. So I call her the adorable one because she's so I've adorable. I've come to, to accept. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like I have been cast. And I, I'm your host, Al Celebrity Soto. Most <laughs> of the most. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. God's been fun. Listeners, please enjoy the rest of your summer. I'll be back in late August. I need a break, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. And uh, we are closing um, tonight, which will be a post production, 
two, there are two remaining interviews from a great con called Shore Leave, which is cool because I was on set of Francis's film Pinot Noir. Tell Francis, hey, Sunday, I'm going to check out this con. I'm hoping you won't need me Sunday. Lucky he didn't need me. So I got to get some great interviews. Um, closing out tonight's show, I talked to Bonnie Gordon from Star Trek Prodigy's Ships Computer. Also, she's done a lot of voiceover work on Street Fighter and many other video games. And our highlighted guest um, to close out the show is Eddie McClintock. You might know him for Warehouse 13, Supergirl, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The guy's done a lot. So these two interviews to close out tonight's show, guys. Check out our website. Check out our Facebook and our Instagram for updates. Um, tentatively scheduled to return at the end of August. So, guys, we will see you guys from uh, in a few weeks. So <laughs> on behalf of the entire panel... We will see you guys then. Until then, peace. Guys, we're here at voice actress extraordinaire Bonnie Gordon. Here Hello. at Shore Leave number 42. Secrets of Life. We all know it now. 42. That was easy. <laughs> Bonnie, you told me that this is one of your favorite cons. Yeah, so this is my first time at Shore Leave, and I'm a really big fan of the smaller, like, fandom cons. Yeah. Uh, especially the ones that are put on by fans, for fans, and uh, that are not, like, too crazy huge, you know. Like, I do a lot of the bigger ones, like San Diego Comic Con and stuff, and it's just too much and too overstimulating. This is not like going to a con. It's kind of like going to a fun, like, family reunion where you're around a bunch of nerds that love the same things that you do and just have a good time and share in your love for the fandoms and get to actually like meet and talk to the guests more personally and I and I just really love the vibe here and all the people here have been so welcoming and wonderful so yeah I I love this con and y'all are stuck with me now forever (laughs) and you actually call yourself a professional nerd whereas there's so many uh, actors and voice talent that maybe are not the biggest fans of their own fandoms uh, which happens sometimes, yeah. but you're actually a huge fan of which of the fandoms that, that you do voiceover work for. Yeah, so I do a lot of voiceovers for like video yeah. games, cartoons, anime. Yeah. I also am um, a professional TTRPG player, so I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and uh, other tabletop RPGs. You know, all over Twitch on different channels. Um, I was also on like a nerdy fantasy reality show back in the day. So I I, I love to say that when people ask me what I do, I I just do nerdy things and share it with. Other people, and I'm, I'm in a comedy band where we take songs off the radio and make that nerdy, um, like kind of like Weird Al, well, yeah, Weird but, Al Yankovic but style, all nerd levels, you know, yes. to an extreme, uh, a little bit like filking as well. So, uh, so cool. I get to do a lot of random things and just share my nerdiness with the world. And professional nerd, that's the best title I can think of for mm-hmm. when people ask me what I do for a living. Wow, yeah. that is awesome! And of course, one of your amazing uh, voiceover works is Star Trek Prodigy on. Nickelodeon and Paramount Plus. How's your experience been on that show as doing voiceover work for that? Oh man, well first off it's been amazing being a part of Star Trek in general, Yeah. but also to be a part of a show that's so special that's introducing uh, introducing the next generation no no pun intended next generation right. of <laughs> Trekkies to Starfleet um, to see so many uh, posts of parents watching Star Trek with their kids and getting them interested in, in 
all kinds of Star Trek fandom, you know, uh, watching kids recognize Janeway on Voyager now. It's just so exciting to, to see it all come together and to be a part of a legacy that Major Barrett Roddenberry started back from the original series with her voice of the computer. It's just, uh, it's been kind of magical. And I've been with the show since the very beginning because I got to go in and do scratch vocals, which means I, I got to go in and record some of the characters' lines um, before the, ca- the official cast was brought in. So the animators had something to work with. So I got to do some of the scratch voice for Gwen and Janeway. So going in and reading, you know, lines as Janeway was... I fangirled on myself, which is a little weird. <laughs> I don't know. That, I, I think a lot of us do that, but yeah, it's funny. I didn't know it was possible to where I'm just like, I am Janeway. I mean, right. I'm not Janeway, but right. I got to be her for a little hey. bit until she, until Kate Mulgrew could come into the studio yeah. and record her lines. One of those pinch me moments, right? Yeah. I definitely had a pinch me moment doing Janeway from the USS Voyager on the USS Protostar. My voice is a little tired, so I sound a little bit more like Katherine Hepburn <laughs> than Janeway, but awesome. close enough. Yeah. Are there any particular fandoms that you have not done voiceover work for that you would love to work on? Oh my gosh. Uh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. The you're opening up a whole big can of worms. I, there's so many things I'd love to do. Um, I'm a huge fantasy geek, so I would love to be on some kind of you know epic fantasy cartoon. I'd love to... Um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, educational shows for kids, so um, I'm kind of working on trying to pitch a, a show, a children's show, uh, about getting kids back into libraries and reading and uh, making a whimsical, magical, musical journey of storybooks. So... Uh, uh, there's so many things I want to do. I just don't have enough noodles to throw at the wall to see which one's going to stick. But there's so many different fandoms I'd love to be a part of. I'd love to be a part of Star Wars. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a Star Wars? I'd love to. I'd love to do voices for Disney, which technically is Star Wars now. Uh, I'd love to uh, play a villain in something. I love playing villains, but I'd love to like take on a role that you know really. Like, would, I don't want to frighten people in real life, but you know, it's so it feels so good to be bad. So I kind of want to be bad sometimes. Because you're usually the protagonist and the good good girl, right? I'm usually I'm I'm more of a chaotic good okay. in real life and in every uh, alignment of, of any game I play. Right. Um, I consider myself a chaotic good. I feel like you know. I'm, I'm not really a rule breaker, but if the rules I think are not right, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll go Robin Hood on you. I will. I will. Yeah. I'll still, I'll still from the rich and give to the poor. That's, yes. That's my jam. Right. Yeah. Well, guys, this was the amazing Bonnie Gordon talking to us here at Shore Lee 42. We have a lot more great interviews coming up. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for having me. And in your amazing voice, if you could let us know who you are. Oh, sure. And our show's called Below the Belt Show. Thank you for watching Below the Belt Show. My name is Bonnie Gordon. I'm the voice of the ship computer on Star Trek Prodigy. And you can find me all over the interwebs at Bonnie Bell G. Live long and prosper. That was amazing. Thank you. We're here with actor extraordinaire Eddie McClintock. Really? <laughs> actor extraordinaire? Actor extraordinaire, Actor dude. extraordinaire, dang. Certainly, any, any actor that is a working actor that has amazing body of work is an actor extraordinaire. Uh, uh, thank you. I'll take it. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. So how are you enjoying uh, Shore Leave Con here in Hunt Valley so far? Uh, you know, this is my third one okay. uh, since I started. And... Uh, 
it's just it's a great it's a great con uh, run by great people um, you know it's very intimate and uh, you know it's just been amazing it's been amazing I mean anytime I get invited I'm always like really me you want me to come so just anytime I'm invited I'm I'm thrilled yeah I mean of course I mean some of your works have had some of the biggest fandoms yeah I mean starting with warehouse 13 because I see all the eight by tens of warehouse 13. Yes. Have they talked about any um, reboot, sequel, reboot quill, anything like that for Warehouse 13 since the fan of has been, you know, pretty solid? Now, when you say have they... Um, Producers. Yeah, I mean, I have certainly talked about it. Uh, yeah. I, I've gone to... I've talked to our exec producer about it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the tone at Sci-Fi seems to have changed a lot huh. since we were there. Um but the fact that they're running a, a Warehouse 13 marathon, um, they did the whole first season on Friday, and then next Friday they'll do second season. And then, so, you know, who knows? If people show up to watch and the numbers are good, they may decide that they should uh, invest their money and do, uh, you know, maybe another little, maybe a movie or a miniseries or something. Who knows, you know? Where, where would you like to see the writers take your character? Gosh, wow. Um, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> well, I, I think uh, Pete and Micah get together, and then H.G. Uh, Wells uh, steals Micah away from Pete, and then Pete uh, starts drinking again, and then Artie has to come and save Pete because there's a world calamity. Makes sense. And uh, Pete realizes what's important again, uh, stops drinking, and gets on the back on the path to recovery. Wow, that sounds... Uh, you already wrote itself. There it is. Producers. There it is. If you're listening, this is the next... I guess sequel season. Yeah. Not a reboot because it's still the same actors, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Very cool. So uh, speaking of the fandoms, uh, Supergirl, how was your experience being on that set? Because that has a, that had an incredible fan base on the, um, yeah. on the uh, DC uh, Arrowverse. Yeah. And in addition, you're in the Marvel Universe yeah. in Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Ventuck. So you had the pleasure of being in both fandoms, DC and Marvel. Pretty cool, right? right? Um, I mean, yeah. I, I grew up uh, collecting comic books. I yeah. still have all my... I was a Marvel guy. Right. Um, so to be part of two of the universes is, is pretty pretty cool, man. Yeah. Um, I, I had a great time on that show. Our director uh, was... He was a uh, executive on Warehouse 13, so you know it was nice and easy, and the girls were great, and uh, it, I had a lot of fun. That is awesome. Let's talk about some of the newest stuff. So, the Mighty Ducks Game Changers yeah, yeah. Uh, on Disney Plus. Uh, that was a, uh, I guess, a direct sequel uh, of the films that everybody loved back yeah, in the day. Emilio Estevez. Uh, Emilio Estevez. Yeah. yeah. How was your experience on and, that? Set? And uh, Lauren Graham. Yes. Um, I had a blast. Uh, the the young man who who was uh, you know the the actual Mighty Ducks uh, player. He was a great uh, kid. I, I can't remember his name right now. Uh, Emilio was great. I was always such a huge fan of his dad, and yeah. I worked with Charlie on um, Spin City. So um, we we sat around and talked about Apocalypse Now, and and just had a really great time. Lauren was great. Um, Unfortunately, uh, um, they were getting ready to do a season two, and Emilio decided not to come back. I know. So yeah. I, I was supposed to um, 
come back and because uh, and be Emilio's kind of right hand man. Exactly. And uh, the uh, the fact that he's not coming back, I think, kind of puts the kibosh on my uh, my return. So unless you get promoted to the head head coach, That's right? That could happen. Could happen. <laughs> Promote this guy on the Mighty Ducks. Come on, Disney, Disney Plus. Listen, my wife needs a new pair of shoes. So. <laughs> Oh, she likes those uh, red bottom yeah. uh, Christian Louboutin. Christian yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Expensive, expensive taste. So. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Wow, guys, this is Eddie McClintock, guys, actor extraordinaire here at Shore Leave. Uh, any other things you want to promote and talk about? Uh, I just directed my first film. Um, it's called Miracle at Manchester. Okay. Um, if you follow me on social media, throw it out. I'm uh, Eddie McClintock on Twitter, Eddie McClintock on Instagram, and Eddie McClintock on Facebook. I love it. And uh, you'll uh, you'll be able to see what I'm up to. I love it. That's that's right, guys. Every all the socials for Eddie McClintock. And if you could let yeah. us know who you are yeah. and throw out a promo for Below the Belt Show. You're on Below the Belt Below, Show. Below the Belt. Below the Belt Show. <laughs> Yo, what's up? My name's Eddie McClintock from Warehouse 13, and you are watching Below the Belt. Ooh. Well, it has been a ill show tonight, and I think we have all learned some valuable lessons. This is your bot for the bad boys of Baltimore saying, Until next time, keep chilling. Like a villain. Bye, goodbye, 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 goodbye.